Hey, I'm Dustin Wynn. This is Freddie Williams. This is Ian Sattler, Senior Story Editor at DCU. Hi, this is Mojo DeFilippis. And Christina Weir. Hi, this is Kevin Vandis. Hi, this is Libra Mayo. Hi, this is Brian Ezrelli. Hi, this is Matt Wagner, author of Batman and the Monster Man and Batman and the Mad Monk. Hey, this is Mike Martz, Batman Group Editor. Hey, this is Ethan Van Skybro. My name is Neil Adams. This is Paul Dini. This is Robert Greenberger. This is Jerry Robinson. Hey, this is uh, Will Fertaccio. This is Adam Beechin, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, the point five episode. This is 126.5. I am Dustin, and I am here with... This is Ed. And we are bringing you the... Uh, the second tier of books from the month of October. We have a total of nine books to cover, and just a forewarning, if you are looking for a positive episode, this is probably not going to be it. We do have a little bit of news to cover, just a very small amount, and we'll have, we'll get into listener Q&As a little bit later as well, but let's start off with comic news. This is Vicki Vale, reporting live. The first thing is, the solicitations for January 2014 were released, and while there isn't a huge amount of surprises, one of the things that is noticeably noticed in a number of the different books is that there's another crossover event that will be occurring in January, and surprisingly, it's not one related to something that Scott Snyder's doing. And a number of the books say a crossover that's kind of, I guess, headed by John Lehman, since the story's kicking off in Detective Comics with a story by him. The crossover is entitled Gothotopia, and it's going to cross into not a whole lot of the main books, but a lot of the... I guess, second-tier books as well as the supporting characters. So not only will it be in Detective Comics, Batgirl, and Nightwing, but as far as the books we cover here, it will also tie into Batwing, Catwoman, and Birds of Prey will all tie into this event. Now, supposedly this is supposed to be Gotham as a, you know, an alternate Gotham where everything is bright and happy. Um, who knows? The cover for Batgirl shows Batgirl in a white costume instead of her normal black costume. So it'll be interesting to see exactly what's done with this crossover, especially since it's the first crossover that's kind of taking place, uh, not related to Scott Snyder's stories. And really this, the first crossover in the Batman universe that doesn't tie into any of Scott Snyder's things, which is, uh, is kind of what I just said. But I just think it's interesting because John Lehman, he's actually leaving the Batman universe and Detective Comics after Detective Comics number 27. So obviously this is just a one-month crossover type thing where it's not going to be an ongoing thing because Lehman's off the book as of January. And then February, we have a new creative team coming on. So it's just interesting to see a one-month thing happening amongst a lot of the books. You know, we'll just have to wait and see to see where what it'll be. There's very little information as far as what exactly this is. A lot of the news focus has been on the fact that Detective Comics number 27 is kind of like an anniversary special since it's Detective Comics number 27, and it's also kicking off the 75th anniversary of Batman in January. So outside of that, the other news has really been about Batman Eternal, the new weekly series. So there really hasn't been a whole lot of talk about Gothotopia and what exactly it is. I'm sure we'll learn more as time goes on. Yeah, um, it's cool to see Layman kind of doing the crossover. I don't have an issue with these, especially when they don't tie up every single book. And for some of these books that are getting the crossover, I think it might be a welcome change of pace from their normal storytelling. So, yeah, I'm good with it. All right, so the next thing we're going to talk about, on October 16th, J.H. Williams, he wrote a blog post over on his website to clear up some of the things that have happened. As we know, J.H. Uh, Williams and W. Hayden Blackman, as well as Trevor McCarthy, who's been doing the art, vice versa, with story arcs with J.H. Williams, they are all leaving Batwoman after 
this uh, this issue that we're actually covering here on this episode, number 24. Um, so J.H. Williams, he basically wanted to lay out what they had planned for Batwoman going forward and why it's going to be such a weird thing for them to leave after issue 24. So I'm going to read his post, which is a little long, but it's actually extremely informative as far as what they would have done with Batwoman. What saddens me about it is that our issue 26, two months from now, would have ended in a place that would serve as an adequate end cap to our run in a lot of ways. We knew how we were going to wrap things up by number 26, and felt we would have done so in a satisfying manner, or so we hoped. There was so much stuff going to happen. Some crazy reveals, the reveals of Bones' past, just how he connects to Kane and Beth Kane, and with the confrontation with Jacob Kane and his murder of crows. Batwoman having the final throwdown with Batman, they were going to give a large plot points on how Beth became Alice. Bat Kane, a.k.a. Hawkfire, shocked and horrified by something Alice Beth does during the rescue mission, ultimately bring the entire family to some sort of beginning to heal and how Maggie would fit into all this. Chase seeing the horrors of what Director Bones is doing was going to cause her to make radical decision that would forever change her life. This was all supposed to set up after altering a major plot point to suit DC needs. We would have been able to end our run at a good spot for the next creative team, but that must only be happening in some parallel world. So the first seven issues of this fourth arc will leave the story in sort of limbo and not fully resolved, at least by us. So, I mean, we'll talk about Batman 124 in a minute, but it's interesting because obviously they had a plan. I don't really understand what the suddenness of... DC taking these these creators off the book was, you know, I understand that, you know, the creators said at one point that they wanted to have the marriage in the book and DC didn't want that to happen. You know, that's fine, but the the interesting thing about this is the idea that they couldn't at least even without the the whole marriage thing, they still couldn't have ended their run in a way where it was if, you know, they had some sort of closure to the arc. The fact that when we get into the reviewing issue 24, it doesn't end in a way where it's like, oh, what are we going to see now? Or, you know, oh, th- everything's happy, we can go back and start a new story arc. It's very, very open-ended. And we know that Batwoman number 25 is going to suddenly tie into Batman Zero Year, even though it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, given that this story ends the way it does. It's an example, another example of an issue being released that has nothing to do with the current story arcs, as we've seen with a number of different things recently. But the but the thing that is more upsetting about this is, is Mark Andreco and Jeremy Hahn, the new creative team coming on to Batwoman, are they going to be, you know, trying to wrap some of this stuff up, or are they just going to basically start fresh and maybe resolve this as time progresses? And if that's the case, I have to say I'm not really looking forward to it. Well, here's the thing. <clears throat> One, where's the fire? Like, if you wanted them off the book, you could just give them another... I mean, you're talking the, the difference in two more issues. I mean, why would you want to just chop them off with the knees like that? Okay, so you tell them they can't do the marriage scene, but let them finish. I mean, there's no point in pushing them out of the door. And and like I said, I don't want to get into too much of Batman 24 because we're probably going to hit this again. But the way that that ends is not in any way conducive to a creative change. I mean, I don't know. I just don't understand why DC seemed to have this need that once they decide that they're going to leave the book, it's like escorting them to the door with a security guard getting all their stuff out of their desk. I don't understand why there was such a rush to get them off the book. doesn't make any sense. I, I just, it doesn't make a lot of sense, and I know we will talk about this a little bit more with that moment 24, so I'll leave it at that. I just thought it was interesting 
to kind of go over some of the things that they did have planned that they will no longer be able to do now. All right, so the only other news we've got is that Harley Quinn number zero, it's set to come out this month in November, and for whatever reason, it is at the top of the advanced reorder sales. Now, this the sale is a list that's that's basically created based off of people will place their pre-orders for comics ahead of time, most of the time. And what will happen is the retailers, the comic book stores, they in turn will order a specific set not set amount of books. After time goes on and it gets closer to the release of the book, sometimes they'll have more requests, so they'll put in a reorder. Well, as it turns out, Harley Quinn number zero is the top of the list for the month of November as far as books that are being re-requested for more issues which most likely means that we'll get a second printing, as that is most of the time what happens when books are at the top of this list. I will say that we will begin reviewing Harley Quinn uh, next month after the first issue does release. We will be reviewing that. But, you know, I, I'm looking forward to Harley Quinn. I'm thinking, I you know, I think it could be a little bit of a breath of fresh air outside of some of the stuff we have seen, just because I think it'll be a little bit more fun stories and not so much about the violent depressing stuff that we've seen so in so many of these other books. Yeah, I, I can't even tell you how much I hope that you're right about that. That's why during Villains Month, I got so totally worried when they had the Harley Quinn special in Villains Month, which I had kind of thought was going to be setting up her own series, and now I hope they just completely act like they never read that because you had Harley committing like mass murder against children, which isn't going to be a great setup. But I'm hoping they'll just ignore that and move on because a little lighthearted book would do this some good mentally for us on here, if nothing else. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right, so then with that, that is actually all the news. I will say that we'll, we'll discuss this a little bit more after all the comics, but after this month, we will be cutting some of the books that we currently are reviewing right now. We'll talk more about that later, specifically because of the announcement that was just released of a new weekly series that will be coming this spring, Batman Eternal. This series is supposed to be focusing on a little bit more of the characters that have not really been focused on from the Batman universe, including Stephanie Brown, but one character that's more important, in my opinion, than Stephanie Brown would be Tim Drake, and part of the reason we've been covering Teen Titans for so long is because this is really the only way we can learn anything about Tim Drake, so since he will be covered in that book, um, that puts Teen Titans kind of in jeopardy as far as us covering it. So with that, we'll talk more about that after the, all the comic book reviews, but the let's get straight into our comic book reviews and the very first one we've got is Catwoman number 24. You sure you want to cut this so short? You haven't even heard me purr yet. Catwoman number 24, written by Anno Sensi, art by Rafa Sandoval. The issue starts off with the Joker's daughter who is attacking Tinderbox and Catwoman. Uh, she's basically saying, you don't know what you're doing, I, you know, you should side with me because I, I lead a bunch of women and we are the ones that uh, are the better leaders of all of these idiots that are down here in the underground. Basically, Catwoman is is about to get attacked by a number of uh, Joker's daughter's henchwomen, and she places a tracer on Tinderbox, and she leaves very suddenly uh, to get away from Joker's daughter. And we then cut to Alice Tesla, who is doing a little bit of research on the giant gems that uh, we saw Catwoman steal for her a couple of issues ago. She then tracks down Catwoman to figure out exactly where she is. We then see Catwoman in the sewers, and she sees a bunch of the Warthog people with their gas masks going through, and they're carrying a body which she believes to be Rattail. But as it turns out, one of the men who is actually wearing a gas mask is the actual Rattail, and after she 
distracts them long enough for some of them to get separated from the guy who's, you know, who appears to be Rattail. She uh, approaches him, finds out it is Rattail. So as it turns out, Rattail, who we haven't seen for about three or four issues, he reappears alive in great condition after he has some banter with her about the fact that she was the one who started all of this and he's, you know, trying to fix this and he just wants to get out of here. She says that they need to give Alice Tesla a call. Meanwhile, at the Warhog's base, we see this, the person who, in fact, was the, in, the person who Rat Tail did not kill, but stole his clothes, who was dead. They're talking about the body, saying that they need to avenge his death, and they're gonna start an all-out war. The leader is not very happy and says that you're, you're trying to start a mutiny. We then cut back to Alice Tesla, who's talking with Catwoman. She says that she's going to send her some coordinates as far as what needs to be done. We then see Dr. Phosphorus, who is actually creating these gems, saying that they have a specific flaw, and the whole idea behind them is that they're actually bombs, because if a certain frequency gets to them, they will actually explode. We then see Joker's daughter, who is basically brainwashing Tinderbox into being a person who could possibly take out her own father, because she believes that she is the queen of the underground and she and Joker's daughter can rule the underground together because they're both females. We see Alice Tesla find the flaw in the diamonds. Just as this is happening, the underground of the underground is being flooded by Joker's daughter and Tinderbox and Catwoman and Rattail are going to get separated. We then see Alice Tesla trying some harmonics on it when all of a sudden an explosion goes off and presumably she explodes although we don't know for sure. Uh, below, basically, Joker's daughter is telling Tinderbox that you're my failsafe, your father's never going to try to get you, so, you know, I I would hope that, you know, that's why I know he's not going to come after, and, you know, why don't we just take out your father? Uh, we then see everyone, including Rattail, Catwoman, and the cat, all presumably drowning, and next up, Battle to Save Gotham and Diamonds are a girl's worst friend. Alright, so Catwoman number 24. Mm -hmm. I don't have really anything worthwhile to say about this issue. I will say that, you know, Rat Tail re-emerging after being gone for... Well, if you take out Villains Month, which obviously wasn't going to appear during Villains Month because it wasn't a Catwoman issue, if we take out that, he still has been gone for about three months. Because I think the last time we saw him was in the issue that released in June when he fell into the hole. So it's been quite some time since we've seen him. The fact that he is alive and well, claiming that he didn't kill the person whose clothes he's wearing, but he did in fact steal the clothes, is kind of weird. You know, I honestly, there's, you know, Joker's daughter doing this whole, you know, oh, women are so great, and, you know, the, 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 this, this place needs to be run, ran by the women, not the men. I don't really understand the necessity for it. I don't get it. I don't like the Joker's daughter at all. I don't think that Tinderbox is a character even worthwhile having. I don't understand why we have this character to begin with, other than just another female that's the opposite of Dr. Phosphorus, so that he can be taken out and at the same time be corrupted by Joker's daughter. So, I don't actually have any questions. If you would like to vent about how horrible this book is for the next couple minutes, go right ahead. It's bad. I mean... I do. I will say, this is the most backhanded compliment I've ever given anything in my entire life. It is just a tick worse. I, I think that the all-time low in comics for me 
and this isn't hyperbole, since the new 52 was the issue of Catwoman three or four issues ago where the cat was running around and then the milk got spilled in her face, right? I think that was the lowest of, like, the, the single worst issue I've, I've since the new 52. This one disappoints me greatly because pre-New 52, I actually liked the character of Joker's daughter, who, of course, was actually Two-Face's daughter. But I liked the character of Dual Dent. I thought she was kind of cool. And in this comic book, it's, you know, as much as we like to complain, and we, I mean, kind of the Batman universe staff slash Bat fans all over the world about the treatment of characters such as Tim Drake in the New 52 and other, like, fan favorites, this character of Dual Dent, although she didn't resonate as strongly with most fans as a character like Tim Drake or Stephanie Brown did, this is a total destruction of her character as well. This character bears no resemblance whatsoever, neither physical or in character. I don't know. It's bad. The book's just bad, and I don't know. I mean, at this point, and here's the sad part. You know, we've actually talked to this before, I know, but I want to reiterate this. I like Catwoman. I like the, I like the old Catwoman books. I think that this title desperately needs a creative change. And, you know, I think that if we do get a creative change, that at that part when we have to talk about that in news, hopefully next month in news, then we'll do, like, some party hats and uh, some whiz-bangs and stuff like that. But, yeah, I mean, there's not much to say. This isn't good. Yeah, the thing is, I I can't understand why this book hasn't had a creator change. I mean, Ugh. sales have been slumping. So, I, I to me, it doesn't make any sense as to why this book has not had a creator change, other than just... You know the the bandwagon of people saying, "Oh, you're taking a, you're taking a female writer off a book." Oh, that's so horrible, as we've heard so many times. But the, the, it, it has nothing to do with what you have in your pants. It has to do with how good your writing is. And the thing is, it just so happens that some of the female creators that are on these books, they just they haven't been very good. That doesn't mean that they're bad writers. That means maybe the characters that they're writing are are not necessarily the correct characters that they should be writing. Now, that's not to say that there's obviously not male creators out there who also don't do bad stuff, but it just so happens that the really, really bad books, it seems, in the in the Bat universe, at least, happen to be written by females. And that's not me knocking on female creators. There's plenty of female creators that I think are good, but I think that maybe they just need a creator change, regardless of who it is. I just hope that if there is a creator change in the future for this book, that it doesn't turn into, oh no, they're getting rid of another female creator. Yeah, I, I, and it's, to me it's got nothing to do with the fact she's a female creator. I mean, believe me, as you're about to hear from us, there's a lot of bad stuff wrote by guys right now, too. You know? So don't think for a minute that, that, that it's only a female thing. I just, uh, it's just bad. And it's, I mean, it, it, I get that we want more female creators. I mean, I think that's that's a good thing. I would like more female creators, but if it's bad, it's bad. Yeah. So um, we'll just leave it at that. I don't want to spend too much time on something that's this horrible. Uh, Catwoman number twenty-four. I'm going to give a half battering out of five. One, just so I have to make you make a difficult decision on rounding up and down. So that means Catwoman number twenty-four gets a total of a half a battering out of five. Let's move into our next book, Batman Superman number four. Bruce Wayne, you peaked. I won't have vigilantism in my town. You'll be rid of me. As soon as I find the Joker. That may not be soon enough. Batman Superman number four, Refracted. Writer Greg Pak, artist Jay Lee. 
This story opens up with both sets of Batman and Superman at the Magic Crystal from the last issue that we were dealing with. They are attacked by some kind of paramilitary from uh, this other world, which includes uh, Slade Wilson, a.k.a. Deathstroke, although not in his gear, as part of the attacking group. After subduing the military, the older set of heroes decide the crystal is too powerful to be allowed to not be destroyed, although the younger heroes seem to disagree. They are attacked by their older selves. Catwoman and Lois from the older universe arrived and see Wonder Woman still fighting the trickster. Selina launches missiles from the Batwing and attempt to destroy the crystal. The younger versions touch the crystal and then see various like future mirrored versions of themselves or what they, they see of themselves on the inside. Slades back up, discerns decides to turn the power back up and severely cripples the Batwing. While the older Superman is in space trying to get rid of the crystal in some way, the younger version has to save Lois and Catwoman from a crashing Batwing. Everyone regroups with Wonder Woman and the Trickster, and he reveals that the crystal was a test for what uh, what world had the strongest champions. He will stay with the older superheroes because they are ruthless and they have a chance against Darkseid. The Trickster sends everyone back to their own world and gives them all amnesia so no one remember the uh, events of, of what we've seen here in the first four issues. We end up back in the park from issue number one in this storyline where we see Bruce and Clark meet again. This time, the kid being bullied sticks up for himself and punches the other kid, and Clark asks Bruce if he taught him, and Bruce kind of saunters off into the day. And then, finally, the trickster is revealed to still be hiding in our world. And next up will be the new story arc. I guess the the real thing I want to start with was, we all know that that they would forget this encounter was going to happen. At, At some point, we'd have a memory wipe or amnesia or something like that, so... Did you kind of like the way this was kind of handled here? I mean, we knew that this whole story was essentially going to be forgotten. So did you like the way they kind of wrapped that up? You know, I didn't mind it. I think I am, you know, if I was listening to your recap, I'd be a little confused because... It's confusing. Because the way you said it, I it came across as the trickster stayed with... The, the way you worded it was they they're staying with the older superheroes, but really... He's staying with the younger versions oh, right. of them because they're more ruthless. Also, the but then at the same time, you referenced uh, Lois and, and uh, Catwoman from as the older from the older universe, and they actually were from the Earth Two version of that with the older superhero or the older Batman and Superman. That set aside, I mean, this the story arc was extremely confusing to begin with. I mean, like it's hard to figure out exactly what's going on. The fact that, uh, you know, it's, it's hard enough when you're reading some stories when you've got multiple narrations going on at once with multiple, like, you know, you're seeing the thoughts of characters. And for a Batman and Superman story, you're always going to end up seeing thoughts from Batman and Superman. But when you throw in another Batman and Superman, so you have four narrations going on at the exact same time, it is extremely confusing. Um, you know, there, as far as the way they wrapped it up, I think it, it was fine. Um, it does end the story in a way where, you know, it's acceptable in my terms, but, uh, you know, that's not necessarily, it basically reverts back to everything that's happened in the story arc was pointless because there's no real lasting effect other than we know that eventually Darkseid is going to come and the ruthless heroes, Batman and Superman from Earth Prime are going to be the ones that are probably better suited to deal with Darkseid which we already know, because that's already happened in Justin. Yeah, see, that's my problem with this, is that I don't have a super problem with the way the amnesia was handled. It kind of is what it is on that, but I don't understand the point in telling these stories that 
can never be referenced again. They really haven't become a part of continuity because it's, I mean, after we read these four issues, it's just totally wiped off the map. It's like, I mean, it's literally like it never happened. And we know that Batman and Superman from Earth 2 end up dead. So we'll, we'll literally never see these, the story reference again. And I kind of just don't understand the point of telling a first meeting kind of origin story if there's not any repercussions from the first meeting. I don't know. I just, I don't understand why the story was told. And I guess my, the, the other thing was something you kind of hit on already, but in the actual words, the story, the narration, it, 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 one, it says that Bruce can barely wrap his mind around what is going on, that he, that Bruce is actually confused by what's going on. As you can tell from my summary, I was literally, when I got done with this, and I went through it two or three times and then wrote the summary, I was extremely confused where I had to keep flipping back and forth and back and forth. Do you think that this kind of, did, did this even form a cohesive, cohesive story for you or did it just kind of melt towards the end? You know, I will say when we first started this story and they introduced these other characters, uh, we, we, you know, we've talked about this before about how it was extremely difficult to figure out exactly who was talking to who, who was who. And, you know, four issues in the story arc ends, uh, it was still difficult. I mean, I, I will say I had a little bit better knowledge understanding who was who and which narration was linked to which character and who was referencing, for example, uh, the Batman and Superman from Earth 2 were always referencing each other as Bruce and Clark, while the other ones were, or the other two from Earth Prime were referencing it's Kent and, I don't even know who Superman referenced Batman as, but it definitely wasn't Bruce. So, you know, I, I, I think it was a little bit better, but at the same time, like, there was so much going on. And it was just extremely difficult to know what was going on as, and to keep track. I, I honestly, the reason I figured out what was going on was because I read through it twice. Because I read through it once, was really, really lost. And when I read through it the second time, I kind of understood it a lot better. And that's where I kind of grasped some of the ideas that they were trying to get across. But should I really have had needed to work that hard to, to really learn about this story that has no repercussions? Probably not. Yeah. That's kind of why I, I kind of just felt this book just, just kind of melted down towards the end for me. I think that he probably, I mean, I, I wonder privately if, if when Pack went in to tell the story, he said, I wanted to tell the first Batman Superman story and he had this kind of story wrote and then they said, Oh, by the way, they can't remember it. You know, we've already done that in the new 52 because this just doesn't seem very, um, very cohesive, but I do like the art. I do like the interesting art style in it, but. Other than that, I don't have a whole much more, a lot more to say about this book, except that I'm really looking forward to where we go with next issue. Now that we kind of have this first in the past plot going away, I mean, I'm a, in what, kind of what's your take on this, Dustin? I'm assuming that we'll start these back in present continuity with the next issue, or have you heard anything different? We're not going to stay in the past, are we? No, I think the initial idea was to get it out, you know, to, to basically do the first meeting as the first story arc. Basically, the whole idea is I think it is going to bring it back to more current times. I don't think it's going to be set specifically in continuity as far as like what's currently happening, especially with some of the events that are happening in the DC Universe with Forever Evil. But I think it's going to be more modern stories. The solicitation for number five talks about uh, Toy Master popping up. So going forward, I know in, in the future issue, there's also Mongol is going to be appearing as well. But, you know... I honestly, I, I'm, I'm under the assumption that really this book is going to be more Superman heavy than it is Batman heavy. Obviously, Batman will be in it. Obviously, there will be elements from the Batman universe in it. But I think what's going to end up happening is it's really more of a Superman centric book 
that Batman is in, just like uh, that's the feeling I get when they first announced the Superman Wonder Woman series. It was a Superman book that Wonder Woman was in. And, you know, it's basically, and this is probably not necessarily the best thing to say, especially for those of you who are huge Superman fans, but we all know that Batman sells, and Batman, you know, can sell more books than if, you know, a different character was on the book. So when you take Batman and you pair him with anybody, generally the book rises in sales. So I think ultimately, you know, Superman, if you look at the number of Superman books that first came out when the New 52 started compared to the number of Batman books, that came out, it was like, basically, there was at least two Batman books to every one Superman book. And, really, since the New 52 has started, there hasn't really been any additions to Superman, but there has been additions to the Batman universe. So, I think at one point, there was, like, three books to every one Superman book. So, I think the solution was, well, we don't have enough Superman stuff, we've got Man of Steel coming out, we've got the 75th anniversary of Superman, what can we do to kind of do that? And, you know, they added Superman Unchained, they added Superman Batman, or Batman Superman, and now they have Superman Wonder Woman. So I think, ultimately, it's just coming down to how many characters can we pair Superman with to, you know, get other fans from the other fan base to be looking at this book, too. And that's my feeling, especially based off of a lot of the elements that were in this story arc, knowing some of the story elements that are coming forward in the future story arc, Mongol and Toy Master, those are definitely Superman characters and not Batman characters. So, you know, this doesn't feel as if we're getting Superman Batman like we got pre-New 52. This just definitely doesn't feel like that at all. So, yeah, I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, I mean, and what you're, you're talking about is, is really true. I mean, and, but this isn't, this isn't a new thing either. Uh, this goes back to remember the old Brave and the Bold comic from the 70s that was every week Batman and Plastic Man, you know? So this isn't new, but yeah, I think you're right. This, and this feels more Superman than Batman. Alright, so Batman Superman number four. I'm going to give three out of five veterans. I'm going to give it three out of five, too. Like I said, although I didn't really like the plot uh, that much, uh, I really have enjoyed this kind of different art style. So, I like the art. Right, so, that's going to give Batman Superman number four a total of three out of five veterans. Let's move into our next book, Batwing number 24. Oh, good. Thanks for wrecking everything, kid. See you around. Batwing number 24, written by Jimmy Palmiotti and Justin Gray, art by Eduardo Pensiska. The issue starts off right where we left the last issue, with Batwing falling off a building with Lady Vic watching. As he attempts to reboot the suit, he thinks he's going to splat on the pavement when suddenly his suit kicks back on just enough power for him to spread his wings so that he can kind of glide out of the way. And instead, tumbles off a building, crashes into a window only to have some waitress shove him out of a window. Don't really understand that. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Uh, Lady Vic calls her employer, Charlie, and explains that, uh, unfortunately, Batwing was not taken out. He explains, I will pay you for a week. If you can take him out, great. If not, you know, that's that's that. Uh, but at the same time, you need to try to take out as many other bats as you can while you're in Gotham City. Meanwhile, as we see, Batwing has fallen into a dumpster. Stinks like crap. Is realizing that he has no way of rebooting his suit, and he has no way of getting home, so he pays a homeless man for a bunch of clothes, packs his Batwing gear in some paper bags, takes a taxi home, only to find his uh, ex-girlfriend, Z, sitting on his front steps, explaining that her dad died of a massive heart attack. She explains that she doesn't actually have a real boyfriend, that she just did it to try to get back at him for, you know, basically, I guess, not necessarily being mean to her, but being not the best boyfriend in the world. He invites her in, uh, explains that she can sleep in 
she can sleep on, uh, he'll sleep on the couch and she can have the bed. But he really needs to take a shower. She kisses him. They end up taking a shower together. He wakes up many hours later to have a couple of voice messages on his phone and she's not there. One of the messages is from his mother who explains that they're having a family dinner and they want to put a lot of the stuff that's been going on behind them and that Luke needs to sit down with his father in order to resolve this or resolve a lot of the problems they've been having. Then, a couple hours later, she calls back and leaves a pretty mean message, basically explaining that, I guess, family is in priority. After this, he decides he's going to call Batman and try to figure out uh, how he can get his suit fixed. Batman directs him to Bat Bunker 3, where it's basically Christmas Day for Luke Fox, where it's basically a giant science warehouse for him to do anything and everything he possibly can with to improve and to fix the Batwing suit. After he fixes it, he goes to his family's house and uh, makes nice with his mom, explains that, you know, he did the wrong thing, doesn't make any excuses, just says that he's sorry that, that you know, that what happened happened. And uh, then we see him tracking down Lady Vic, who is bikini-clad, and uh, so she explains that she allowed him to track her down specifically so she didn't have to go search for him. He throws a ball at her, which explodes, and what appears to be a tiny little bats fly out of the device and, and attach to her skin. Conveniently, because she's bikini-clad, all of these bats connect directly to her skin, and they are laced with a fear toxin. That, and he uses that to his advantage to question her, find out who's employing her, handcuffs her, the police come in to arrest her, he leaves, calls Batman, tells Batman who the person is who is behind the explosion at Wayne Enterprises. It's now all linked back to the man who threatened Bruce Wayne at the Diamond Mine in Africa. Batwing is told he needs to go to Rome and meet up with a contact because she will tell him exactly where this person, this uh, Kali Gula, is so that he can take him out. He then says, well, I will, but I have to do something first. And he goes, no, it can't wait. He goes to the funeral of his ex-girlfriend's father, comforts her. Next month, Batwing Zero Year. Then in December, Batwing travels to Rome and faces his greatest challenge yet. Alright, so, Batwing number 24. So, this was actually, for me, one of the better issues of the month. I think that, for the most part, they're doing a pretty good job of not only showing him fighting crime, but also some of his personal life. And they're doing it well, and I think that's the difference. A lot of the books that have been attempting to show personal life either haven't been showing enough or have been showing in a way where it's, it's it's almost overpowering everything else. But in this case, him dealing with his ex-girlfriend, him dealing with his family, you know, they're showing it very well and he's, he's seemingly dealing with it pretty well. I mean, obviously, this is the life of a superhero. He has to balance his, his personal and his, I guess, professional in a way with being a superhero life as well. So, I mean, I, I just wanted to get your thoughts on whether or not you thought it was handled well, and if not, what you would have wanted to see differently. No, I think that this book is a solid monthly title now. Ever since Palmiotti took it over, what's that been, about six issues now. The book's been been fairly solid since we, we, we replaced the main character and kind of moved forward. It's one of the books that, it's not top of the stack for me. It's not like getting Snyder's Batman or, or Detective every month that I, you know, rip right into it or Justice League, which is one of my favorite. But it's definitely a book that I look forward to reading every month. I, I thought overall it was handled pretty well. I mean, there, 
There's nothing in the book that screams, oh, you know, they shouldn't have done that. Luke as a character is starting to grow up. I don't, I don't love the character of the girlfriend so far. Uh, but it isn't that she's drawn bad or that, or that she's written bad. I just don't, I don't particularly like the character. And I think that we're not supposed to like her that much at this point. But no, I, I think that this book's going in a real solid direction. Yeah. All right. And then the, the other question that I had for this book was, do you think that, Obviously, they've been telling a story that's kind of been carrying over since the beginning of them taking over the book. Tell me, Addie and Gray, when they have, since they've been writing the series, they've been telling a number of different things related to this original, basically kind of harkening back to the original stuff that was first in Batwing with, uh, you know, the events in Africa. But, you know, they've had Luke go on a number of different missions, including that one where they, he took out the, the, basically the Lion King in Africa, and then the, those ant, the, the, the ant soldiers, they came and, you know, basically attacked his house in Gotham. But it's all been attached to the same guy. So I'm, I'm wondering how long do you think this story will carry on and what, what do you kind of hope for for the future outside of what we know we're going to see this month with Zero Year? I think what I'd really like to see is Batwing. One, I know that he's going to Rome next month, but I'd like to see the action in or around Gotham or Bloodhaven, maybe, since since Nightwing no longer operates there. Um, I guess it, it, that was something I had thought about when I was reading this, is that Gotham can be a bit crowded with uh, the vigilante superhero crowd sometimes. So I'd like to see him sent to someplace like Bloodhaven that's close. And I'd like to see, as much as i like to see, like, you know, because Lion, Lion, the Lion King or Lion Mane is actually an old, crappy Silver Age character, which I'm not sure what they decided to bring back. But I'd like to see him fight some more established Batman villains. It doesn't have to be A-listers, it doesn't have to be Scarecrow. But, you know, some, some B or C-lister guys would be, you know, interesting to see him kind of deal with them. It's not that I have a problem with uh, with new villains, because I, I don't, but I would like to see some, and because especially when you have a new character like him, I think it kind of helps kind of counterbalance them out by having villains with some backstory. So that's kind of where I like to see it go. Yeah, I, I think it would also be nice for him to, you know, we, we've been told that he's you know, going to set roots down in Gotham. He's going to be more involved with the Bat family, and I think that's that's good. And I don't necessarily want it to get too overpowered with the other members of the Bat family. But I think you know, an occasional appearance by some of the other characters within the Bat family would be nice outside of just Batman. I think that the other element that I'd like to see is, like you said, you know, him being involved with some of the more established villains. You know, I was not necessarily under the assumption, well, I should say I was under the assumption of once Luke took over, he wasn't really going to be doing these international missions all the time. We've already seen him in Africa. Now we're going to see him going to Rome. Personally wise, personal wise, I'm trying to figure out how he's going to explain this to his family that he keeps disappearing for lengths of time and he's not around at all. His family's already getting upset when he doesn't show up for dinner on one random night with a, you know, an hour's notice before dinner is actually going to happen. So how is this going to play out with his family aspect? I don't know. I don't know that I'd want to necessarily see him, you know, constantly traveling the world as we've not necessarily have been seen, but as it appears that we will be seen. But at the same time, I really feel like putting him in a specific part of Gotham, giving him a specific role, you know, as far as Bloodhaven, I don't see that happening. As much as uh, Bloodhaven has made a cameo in the show Arrow, I think DC wants to pretend that Bloodhaven doesn't exist at this point. So, you know, I think that there are plenty of different ways that they could go with Batwing, and I really hope that he does get kind of a little bit more grounded and not so much about this international stuff that we've been seeing. All right, so Batwing number 24, I'm going to give a total of four out of five batteries. Oh, just a tad bit lower than you, three and a half. Good, but it's solid, though. It's a good book. 
So that's going to give Batwing number 2040 total three and a half out of five batterings. Move into our next book, Red Hood and the Outlaws 24. Another fine villain made possible by a grant from the Wayne Foundation. Red Hood and the Outlaws number 24, Shakedown, written by James Tenian IV, artist Julio Gupez. We start off right where our cliffhanger from the month before left us in the sacred city of the League of Assassins. As the battle with the Untitled is going on, Jason is receiving suggestions from his new swords as him and Bronze Tiger fight on. We then cut to the holding cells where Arsenal and Cheshire are having a heart-to-heart conversation. Although Roy thinks he may be selfish and beyond repair, Cheshire lets him know that, you know, that he, that he is not. Back to the battle, and we see Jason trying to lead the Untitled into the fountain as he knows it's the key and really the only way to defeat them. After some fighting, he does eventually lead the leader of the uh, Untitled into the fountain in his inevitable destruction. Uh, we then cut back to Roy and Cheshire as she tells him that there is no one in the world that would have done for her what he tried to do uh, for Jason. And he has her, you know, hold onto, the, onto her hands, and she teleports them out of there to their escape. The leader of the Untitled does finally die in agony in the fountain, and Jason promises the rest of them the same fate if they, you know, they don't retreat or, or give themselves in. They refuse, and they say that they fear no mortal. At that point, we have uh, Lady Shiva arrives back on the scene and into the fight with an army of man-bats. Uh, the rest of the Untitled are falling all over the city at the hands of the League, but Jason tells them that they cannot kill them without his order because he's the leader, and, and if he doesn't get to give the orders, what's the point in having a leader? At this point, we kind of have a figure emerge from the uh, the fountain and questions his authority, and of course refers to him as the young detective, which of course means that yes, it's no one else but Rachel Ghoul who comes out of the fountain and says that he has come back. We then get a really short cutscene at the end where we see our our friend who stole Jason's memories, Dukara, saying that you know it's all led up to this moment, and we'll see how Jason's going to react. And next month, Red Hood and the Outlaws will also be in zero year. I guess the first question is, you know, the Untitled were introduced way back in Red Hood and the Outlaws number one after we had the reboot for the new 52, and it seems to be that this is kind of the death of them, definitely the one we've been dealing with, but more like the death of their race and probably the death of them as an enemy. And after 24 issues of buildup, does this kind of do it for you, for their big fight scene? You know, I I will say this. You know, I this is a lot more of the mystical, magical stuff that I'm not super huge fan right. of. But, you know, there's certain elements that I don't mind. This was a little bit outside of the box as far as what I would mind. Specifically because of the untitled. I don't really, I, I still to this point don't know anything about, I don't understand what, what or who they are. I don't really understand the all cast. I don't understand what, who Dukra is. I don't understand any of it. So, I mean, like, to me, I, I read this and I just, it's like, okay, we're still going on about this stuff that, you know, after all this time, I still don't know anything about. I still don't understand that well. You know, I don't get it. For, you know, for, you know, I'll, I'll save the talk about Razo Ghul because I'm sure we'll talk about that too. But the, when it comes to the fight, the whole thing is, I, you know, I'm actually sort of relieved that this happened as quick as it did, only because of my hope is that we will deal less and less with this. I'm, I'm okay with Jason Todd dealing with the League of Assassins for a, you know, for the foreseeable future. I don't know how long it's going to last, but at least for the next couple issues, I'm sure. I'm okay with that because the League of Assassins, I know, I understand who they are. You know, you know, I don't know everything about Bronze Tiger. I don't know everything about Lady Shiva, at least in this new universe. So, I, you know, I don't, I definitely don't hardly any, I don't know a whole lot about Cheshire either. So, I'm okay with, you know, not knowing everything, but there's still that basis of knowing something. 
you know, when the all cast was introduced, I knew nothing about them, didn't understand what the point of it was, still don't know anything about it. I don't know if Zero Year is going to explain Jason Todd's dealings with the all cast, although it doesn't make any sense given the time frame that it's supposed to be taking place in. So, I mean, there's a lot of unanswered questions as far as that, so I'm glad it did happen as quick as it did. And, yeah, I'm kind of the same way. I'd really hoped when James Tenney and the Fourth had taken over this book that that was the last we'd see of them and that we would just kind of go in a different direction. So I hope this is the end of them. I don't, I don't want to see them anymore. The other thing for me is, you know, Roy and Cheshire, uh, where do you think that's going? We, you know, you know that in a couple of mediums, most notably Young Justice and some other formats over the years, they've had a, had a relationship. I know he's kind of, and well, is in a relationship with Starfire here, but where do you see Roy and Cheshire going? Do you think this is going to be something we see well into the future of the books, or is this just a couple-issue kind of diversion? I think it's a couple-issue kind of a diversion, while Starfire's not playing a larger role. I'm surprised she actually made an appearance at all in this issue, because it just, it, the other, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. I don't think that it's going to be a long-term thing, but I do think that there there's going to be something there, but it's probably going to be more on the side of Cheshire than it will be on Boy. Yeah, I was thinking that too, and, and I also think that Cheshire could end up possibly joining the Outlaws team. She's obviously on the outs already with her with her friends there at the League of Assassins, and I think that if Jason and them decide to at one point leave or get thrown out of the League, I think they could keep her around, and I think that, that kind of looking at Tinian's other writings, that they would use, she would use him as some kind of you know, CW-style love triangle. I could see that that kind of happening, which I kind of hope it doesn't. And I guess the real question is, you know, for, for three or four issues now, we've had the fact that Jason has been struggling with the fact that he is supposed to be the new master of League of Assassins. Now, obviously, with, with Rachel Ghoul coming back, he'll be the master of the League of Assassins. I don't think that there'll be a power struggle or anything like that. I think that's that's fairly cut and dry. But the question is, do you think that Jason has a place in the League at all now with, with Rach back, or will he be out of there? You know, it's hard to say because I think part of it is that part of it is the fact that I think Talia was meant to be, you know, Talia meant for Jason Todd to take over the League of Assassins. And I think it was always supposed to be this thing where, you know, if she couldn't have Batman, you know, by her side, then she would at least have Jason Todd by her side. I don't know how much of the history of Jason Todd they're playing into. I don't know how much of the the stuff from pre New Fifty Two they're they're you know, they're there is still in continuity as far as like Red Hood and the Lost Days, where Talia had a relationship with Jason Todd, um, and in turn, you really believe that you know she was basically giving up anything she possibly felt for Batman f- because she had this new thing with Jason Todd, and that would explain why Jason Todd is somehow insisted to be the new League of Assassins leader. That being said, I think that with Ra's al Ghul, you know, reemerging. Timing-wise, it's really interesting because, you know, outside of being locked up in that in that tower in Batman Incorporated, he really hasn't been anywhere. So for him to randomly appear, it's kind of interesting. I expected them to at least reference in some way a, a, a little bit more of Batman Incorporated to kind of explain why Roz has been gone where he's been. They really haven't done that. And I don't know if it's because, like we've said on other episodes if it's because they don't really want to admit that a lot of the stuff with Batman Incorporated has happened outside of just addressing the death of Damien. So it's interesting that he just randomly appears after this battle takes place and, you know, he's there to basically, you know, take over the League 
only he had nothing to do with the, the war, even if it was swift, that just took place. Yeah, I mean, I think this may go to the bigger overreaching thing, which is the simple fact that if it wasn't Damien's death, Batman Inc. is like it never happened. I mean, it really is like it's not a part of continuity at all, which is just weird. But, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'm glad that he's in the book because something that I know we've talked about on here as well as on the regular comic cast I've heard you guys talk about more than once was why use a new character when an old one would do, you know? And I think that if we had had some kind of mystical other leader here, they would just come off as stupid because the obvious guy is, is Ra's al Ghul. So I'm glad to see him here. I don't know where this leaves Jason. I mean, I'm assuming that the question's going to be is, is where does Ra's think this, this leaves Jason, I guess, because I suppose if he feels that he doesn't want him around anymore, then he's just going to throw him out. And I think that Jason's that, you know, uh, you know, affiliation with Bruce slash Batman might be what gets them, you know, out of this situation in one piece, because the threat now would be, would be race and the, and the rest of the league. And then of course the, you know, the other thing we haven't really addressed in a while, the, the seemingly forgotten uh, plot thread is the fact that Jason still doesn't have his memories back and it's been a while now. So, I'm, I'm assuming he's going to get them back the next uh, in the next couple issues. So, yeah. Other than that, that's really all I really have that issue. Well, I will say, you know, they didn't they didn't necessarily address it up front, but they did reference it at the end when they yeah. showed Dukra, and they talk about, you know, what what do you think will happen now, knowing that he doesn't have his memories. You know, I would hope that it gets to the point where he gets his memories back because I don't really understand the point of. There's so much about this series that I just don't understand, and I don't know if it's because, you know, at one point we stopped covering the book and maybe I missed stuff. I was still reading reviews for the book, and I was still reading the book, but, like, we weren't reviewing it, so I wasn't thinking about it as in-depth as when I actually reviewed, when we review these books. But at the same point, like, I feel like even if there was four months that I did not read the book as in-depth as I normally would... I still feel like there is so much that has happened in these these the series since it launched that I don't understand. I just there's I just don't get it. I mean, like you know, outside of randomly having these these things happening, you know, there was the whole essence thing that was a huge part in the beginning. She's randomly made some appearances recently, but like for the most part, I don't understand why she's around. I don't really know a whole lot about her. There's just been so many things that have happened in this book that I just don't get. And it just feels like they need to get it back to the core. Let's bring these outlaws and have them do stuff and just establish these characters instead of spending, you know, eight issues talking about some situation that Jason Todd dealt with when, you know, when something may or may not have happened that we only had seen in pre-New 52, but as a new reader, I don't know anything about it. So that's all my hope. So this issue, I'm going to give two and a half out of five batterings. Yeah, I'm with you on this one too. I think two and a half out of five batterings is just the definition of mediocre. It's so going to give Red Hood and the Outlaws number 24 a total of two and a half out of five batterings. Let's move into our next book, Birds of Prey number 24. Remember that time Poison Ivy nearly smothered us in those vines with the really sharp thorns? Yes. This is worse. Birds of Prey, number 24, written by Christy Marks, art by Romano Molinar. The issue starts off with background Strix, trying to figure out exactly how to catch the helicopter that has just taken off 
taking Condor and Black Canary away. When all of a sudden someone approaches them, this is a retired GCPD police detective who claims that he is a benefactor who wants to help them. Batgirl is extremely hesitant, but uh, knows full well that she has no other choice. She takes the help from this person, only agreeing that uh, she must meet with the benefactor first. After they lead her to the Gotham International Airport, she explain, or the, the police detective explains that unfortunately they will be able to meet the benefactor after they complete their mission as there is, the enemy is getting further and further away every minute you wait. Batgirl again reluctantly goes with Strix onto the plane to go chase after Black Canary and Condor. Meanwhile, back at this uh, lab that we saw, or this fortress that we saw at the end of the last issue, we see we see Black Canary, see her husband, Kurt Lance, in a tube, and as it appears, the person who... We see Bastly, can we see his, his uh, story? As it turns out, he is actually one of the members of Team 7, who was originally on the team with Black Canary and Kurt Lance, uh, he was left behind on a mission, and his his body actually fused with a person called, called Kazin, who was a psychic leech. He, in turn, became this new person, and he took Kurt Lance to basically start something, to, to, to basically use his powers. Black Canary has no powers while she's in the facility, in this fortress, due to Kurt Lance's powers to subdue metahuman powers. Nearby, Condor is waken, woken up, um, and he is is told by Cyclone that basically it's good to have him back. He asks about Black Canary, but as it turns out, she is Regulus's plaything now. So Basilic, his name is Basilic anymore. I'm starting to think. I think it's Regulus. So as it turns out, uh, she gives him the the five cent tour around the building, introduces him to the team which was just fighting them in the previous issue. They're all pretty ticked that he's back, yet at the same time, they have no problem exchanging words as if they were always teammates in the first place. Overhead, the plane approaches, and Batgirl and Strix are parachuting out of the plane. And as they parachute out of the plane, they come to the fortress, which doesn't appear to be well prepared for any sort of attack. They take down a number of people, free some people, and in the process, tell them to go to the plane. After they take out a number of people, they are overhead, overhearing a conversation between Condor and the other team members, leading Batgirl to only believe that Condor has been in, in, in cahoots with these people from the very beginning. We then see Regulus, who is telling Black Canary that uh, they have, he is controlling Kurt Lance's power, and he is doing this because he wants to take all abilities from everybody in the world. He wants to get all powers from everyone who has powers. He wants to eliminate superhuman powers from everyone in the world. Uh, meanwhile, Batgirl is, ta- is overhearing the conversation. Right as it's starting to get good, and it appears that Cyclone is about to kiss Condor, Condor actually sees Batgirl and Strix, and they go to attack. And they basically said it's time for round two, but this time Condor's on the other side. Next issue, zero year. What, what I guess I, I have a hard time understanding, which it's not so much about the understanding as to, uh, like, the actual understanding of it. It's more about the thought process behind it, understanding the writer's thought process. 
In the last issue, we see Condor and Black Canary get to this fortress in the first place. And we see the reveal that, in fact, Kurt Lance is there in this facility, and that was the big reveal at the end of the last issue. And for some reason, when we start this issue, it takes us almost like, you know, a couple of pages back from the last issue, almost as like a recap. Hey, look, they're gone. Batgirl and Strix are standing on a building. What should they do? This benefactor person, you know, this detective who has a benefactor from out of nowhere, he shows up and he basically tells them, well, I can help you. And Batgirl, oh, so trustingly, decides, sure, I'll do this because it makes perfect sense. Why not? They go to this facility. Is Condor in cahoots with them from the beginning? I don't really think so. It really made me believe that, you know, you know, he, he feels like he doesn't really have a choice and he's just doing what he needs to do to survive. Really, he doesn't really have any, like, when you look at the connections between him and the other characters in the Birds of Prey, it's really only him and Black Canary who's ever really had a connection. So if he has to take out Strix and Batgirl, I don't really think it's going to affect him because he doesn't have any, like, real relationship with either one of those characters outside of just being a teammate. And if that's that's as loose as you could possibly be, considering how, how much of a team this is. So, I guess the first question I have is, really, what issues did you have with this outside of the stuff that I have possibly already mentioned? I think we were a lot thinking along the same lines, and I, and I think it's just because when you're when you're presented with this book, like you said, at the time, I I actually had to go back and look at the last one because when we get presented with this benefactor storyline, which we're kind of greeted with when we open up this issue, my original thought was, what the hell's going on here? You know, I'm like, didn't we, aren't we already? So a little, little confusing there. This seems to me like an issue that, that got lost in transition. I'm not trying to be rude about it. What about, well, I guess I am. We are trying to be critical, I suppose. This issue almost, I mean... It's it's almost a nothing happens. I mean, you could have done everything in this issue in a couple panels of of, of an issue. It just it just seems like it was. I don't know. It just seems like it wasn't going anywhere for me. I don't know the fact that we get now a reference to. I mean, do you remember in the issue before this? I'm sure you do. The zany Batgirl takes off, kills James Gordon Jr. I mean, I, I know yeah, she didn't all, kill him. All, yeah, yeah, all in one night. Yeah, and then like comes right back, and then right when she gets back here, we have the fact that you know she said. My biggest problem is this is. The Batgirl continuity is already confusing, right? I mean, you don't know you read Batgirl because you do it for the comics. Yes. So the Batgirl continuity is already confusing. You put this in here, now she's leaving to go halfway across the world on a team that this guy who used to be a detective knows that she's wanted for the murder of James Gordon, but this only happened, what, 45 minutes ago, an hour ago, if you look just by the book's continuity? Because she leaves, she comes right back on the motorcycle, Right. It's just it's, it's it's kind of a if you read the Batgirl books, there is no room for the story to have happened like this, right? I right. mean, and, and the thing is, it's not just that there's no room. It's that if you read Batgirl, she basically after she supposedly killed her brother, and the the police department was after her, she stopped being Batgirl immediately afterwards. It wasn't oh, I'm going to disappear for the next couple months and then reappear because I'm going to go do missions with Birds of Prey, which aren't in the country to begin with. So, I mean, the problem is the continuity between the two books. You've got the, the character appearing in two separate books, and, you know, it'd be one thing if they were just working on their own their own thing, but the fact that they're actually addressing things that are happening in each other's books, 
that's where the, the, the fault lies. And it's not so much about Batgirl, because Batgirl really doesn't reference Birds of Prey. Not, not as much as they did before, but recently they haven't really been referencing Birds of Prey ever since this whole I killed my brother thing. And outside of that, Birds of Prey is the only book that's actually somehow going back and referencing stuff that's been happening in Batgirl, which is only harming its own story. Yeah, they, they, this is a definitive, you've been better off if you just ignored it. You know, not to mention that, remember, after Barbara kills, you know, we keep saying that she thinks she kills James Gordon Jr., I remember that, you know, she's like, she starts drinking. She goes to a psychologist, you know, I mean, so like you said, she rips the bat off her chest. I mean, she's not even supposed to be semi-coherent. I, mean, uh, I don't know. I, and that's my big, my biggest issue is that, we all read comic books, so there's a certain amount of uh, deniability of, of, of closing our eyes to the fact that Superman puts on glasses and he doesn't look like Clark Kent anymore, uh, that we'll let it get away with. And that's, I'm fine with that, but this timeline is, is really, really super muddled. And the other problem is, is the Kurt Lance thing. It's, it's just another month where I feel like we're not going to get an ending to this. Just kill him or let him go or just do something with him. And it goes back to the mystery. The, the real mystery, and I hate it when this happens in comics. I hate it. It's not... It's not it's, I'm not, I don't know if this is the fault of Christy Marks, because I think this happened before her. Remember, we had this whole story where, you know, Black Canary blew apart Kurt Lance with a canary cry or something, right? And at the room, the, remember the hotel room was covered in his blood? Yep. And we just dropped the plot line, and now he's back, and we're not addressing the fact that we supposedly had him blown all over a hotel room, DNA, all that stuff. It's just, this, this story doesn't feel well thought out to me. Uh, and if this was a standalone story, and it, you didn't have to, because you didn't have to look at the continuity of the prior episode with Kurt Lance, with the fact that the Batgirl continuity just doesn't work at all, this might hold up. But the problem is it is part of a larger continuity, and I think when you place that in the larger continuity, it just doesn't make sense. See, I think the problem is that the, this book was meant to be focusing more on Black Canary than it was Batgirl, but uh, they realized at some point that Batgirl not being involved really didn't make a lot of sense since the Birds of Prey always involved Barbara Gordon in some way. So once they figured that out and they decided to add Barbara, it was, well, Barbara still has her own book, so we need to at least try to reference that. That's why we see a lot more references in Birds of Prey to Batgirl than we do in Batgirl to Birds of Prey. That being said, when they, when they, when they came out and launched the Team 7 series and that didn't do very well, I don't really know what the idea behind that was because the Team 7 book was focusing on Black Canary, Kurt Lance, these other characters that's, you know, before all of this happened, at least to my knowledge, I never actually read Team 7, so that was my understanding, was that they were focusing on the team prior to them becoming who they are now. That being said, I don't really understand why we still are focusing so heavily on this Team 7 stuff. If Team 7, it launched, it failed, it got cancelled, why are we still dealing with it? It's not something that, obviously, a lot of people wanted to be buying into, so why are we still focusing on it? Like, there's so many things, like, you know, we can go way, way back and say when Birds of Prey first came out, they had the whole choke storyline, and they just dropped that completely mid-story and just was like, okay, choke's done, we're going to move on to something else. And I think that was back when Night of Owls happened, and then they never really picked it back up and started and, and really gave that any kind of finale. But I think that this Team 7 stuff, it's it's it, I just don't understand what the point of it is. It almost feels like someone said, all right, Christy Marks, you're going to come out to this book, and what we need you to do is we need you to keep telling this Team 7 story because what we wanted to do in Team 7, it didn't work, 
So we need you to, you know, tell whatever story you're going to tell, but we need it to involve this as well. And if that was really the case, I feel bad for Christy Marks. But at the same time, I just feel like, you know, why do we keep, I mean, as an editor, if that's not the case and they didn't tell her they need to do this, why would an editor say, listen, this is a great idea. You're going to involve these story elements from this book that was already canceled. It ran its course and it was canceled. And we, it didn't even run, I don't even think it ran a full year before it was canceled. So why would they bring this stuff and focus so heavily? Why do they keep doing this? This isn't the first time. They've dealt with this stuff numerous times. And to me, it's just super annoying. I don't care about Team 7. I don't really care about all of this crazy backstory about Black Canary that we've, we've basically been spending two full years trying to hash out that we really, to this day, don't know anything other than she supposedly killed him, but he's not dead. I'm glad that I spent two years learning that she killed him, but she didn't kill him. Well, and like you said, they dropped the last plot point completely. Just stop talking about it. And listen, if you're going to drop a plot point and just leave it hanging in the air, you can't go back to it six months later and completely change it. You can't drop the fact that... Because remember, the story was never, did she kill her husband? The story was, why did she kill her husband? Was it because her powers were out of control, or was it because she meant to? That was the story. Right, and now you're telling a a story of motive where the where the outcome is never in doubt, and now you're telling, and now you've just wiped that. I just I don't know. It 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 doesn't make any sense. And the Team Seven stuff, like honestly, I, and again, I'm not trying to sign crass or crude to any Team Seven fans out there, but Team Seven's got canceled. We've all had books that we like got canceled. It sucks. I get it, but nobody wanted to to read about Team Seven. So don't put it in Birds of Prey, because trust me, if no one wanted to read about it in its own book, they're not going to read about it here. Just let it go. Yeah, and to me, it just it's bringing the book down. When you're focusing on something that didn't do well by itself, and you're taking that and then shoving it into another book, why? You yeah. Know, it does, you don't see, I mean, for the most part, you don't see Deathstroke popping up in other books after his series was canceled. You don't see Hawk and Dove appearing anywhere. Those series were canceled. You don't see Blue Beetle popping up. You don't see Static popping up. So, I mean, like, these are characters that, you know, they have fan, they have fans. That's fine. But if the book gets canceled, you still don't see them be popping up in other books. It just doesn't happen. So why do we keep seeing this? I, you know, I really just want this stuff. And, and, you know, I think the, the other problem with this is that it keeps getting plagued by a lot of this other, these other things. When I say that, I mean, like, for example, now we've got zero year or zero month this month with this, with the upcoming issue. And uh. to me, it just is like, well, it's great that, you know, this is what you're going to do. But again, we're prolonging this. You know, we had, you know, last year it was uh, zero month where, or no, issue zero or whatever they wanted to call it, where they had that, that prolonged the story. We had villains month last month that prolonged the story. Now we have a crossover that's going to prolong the story even longer. It just feels like these stories are so drawn out. Like, you know, I remember when we've, we reviewed Batwoman for a while, I at one point I was complaining about how long the stories were because it was like at least six to eight issue story arcs in some cases. And, it, and, and if you look at it, it's, it was even longer because when you really look at the overall story, there are certain parts where you can cut it like they did with the trade paperbacks, but volume one and volume two of the trades for Batwoman, you could read those simultaneously and it all flows straight together mm-hmm. because that's how that's how long the story arc was, really. They just figured out a nice way of cutting it. The thing is, when it comes to that, Batwoman was is a good series that as much as you know, I don't necessarily like these giant story arcs that take place over 12 months, 
they're okay when they're good. You know, there's there's ones like quarter vowels where, you know, as long as you don't get these filler issues where it feels like you're getting stuff just to fill in the gaps, to take time up and to make sure that it lasts 11, 12 months or whatever, you know, most of the time the stuff's good. But like stories like this where it just continuously goes on and on and on and on and on and on and on, it's just, it doesn't make me want to read the book. It just doesn't. See, and I guess we should go ahead and get into this here because I was actually going to talk about this during Batman, but the same thing is going on in here. I, it's really limiting my enjoyment of the story when you have so many interruptions, you know? I mean, it, you can't even get two issues in a row anymore. Okay, Dylan's Month, one issue. Z- I mean, look what's going to happen in Birds of Prey. Zero year, back for an issue, then Gothtopia, and then back for an I mean... <laughs> When you, it's really, and, and Batwoman's been worse because then they decided to put another interlude book in when they already had two interludes coming. It's making these stories where, and you know this, with the amount of comics that we read, and I'm sure that most of our listening audience reads, when you have to wait 60 days between issues, between ongoing stories, you kind of forget what's going on, don't you? Oh, trust me, it's already bad enough when uh, we review some of these books, and I can't remember what happened a month ago. But that's not to anybody's fault but my own because I choose to read these books right before we review them. But it's it's hard enough as it is, but then, you know, referencing, you know, trying to remember what happened back in August, and I'm reading the books, you know, I read the books, the la- these this set of books, the last time I read any of these books was back at the end of August when we did the last point five cast. Here we are two months later, and I'm reading these books, and it's like, okay, I'm really trying hard to remember if this actually happened. Was this explained? You know, do I have to, I have to go back? I, I, I have to sit here and think to myself, how long ago was this? Did this happen? So, so, you know, this, did this happen actually in the last issue or am I just thinking it happened because that's one thing that I remember? You know, the, the Catwoman was a perfect example of not knowing exactly what's going on, especially since in Villains Month we had a Joker's Daughter story that didn't necessarily fall in line with what was happening in Catwoman. Yes, it told a story about why she is in the under, the underground world and where, what, what role she plays in that underground world. But outside of that, it, I, I don't... There's so, been so many different elements, and Catwoman, I think, is probably one of the worst ones when it comes to this kind of, this kind of writing where it's, you know, we're going we're gonna to focus on a lot of different things and we're going to keep focusing on them but we're going to spread out all of these points over the next, like, six to eight months. And, yes, you've got, you know, you can blame it on Villains Month, you can blame it on the crossovers with Zero Month, you can blame it on all that stuff, but really it just comes down to, in my mind, it comes down to these writers are trying to write a long-term writing because, and, and and I don't say this specifically for any writer, but I really feel like they specifically do this so that they can't be taken off a book. I agree with your sentiment. But it's obvious that DC doesn't care. They just whacked Blackman and them off Bat off Batwoman in the middle of a fight. That's true. <laughs> and to me, that, that book actually had good sales. <laughs> yeah. So there must have been something behind the scenes that you know we don't know about because that's the only explanation for that. But I mean, like realistically, I you know I I just don't understand where you know you see you see books like you see books like Detective Comics where they're getting a creative cha- uh, creator change. After January and uh, Francis Manipool and Brian Busoletto are coming on to Detective Comics. Now, John Lehman and Jason Fabick have been doing a great job in Detective Comics. Yeah. So I'm almost positive that it's not about DC saying, all right, Lehman, your time's up. You need to get off the book. It's more about Lehman saying he wants to step away for, for, you know, for a while or he, he wants to step off the book because he's done what he wanted to do. That's fine. 
but when you look at all of these other writers, it almost feels like it's coming to the point where DC lets these writers run their, their course for an extended amount of time, much longer than some of these other writers would ever be on, and then say, okay, you're going to change, and then what ends up happening is whoever comes on the book next is left with all of the plot points that the other writer didn't finish up because they were writing such, you know, they were playing the long game. That's what they were doing. They're not playing a short game, you know, as much as everyone wants to say, oh, these books are great because they're great for jumping on and you can really understand what's going on with these books. No, no, no. You you read half of, you know, I'd, I'd say you read out of the, uh, the eight books we were covering today, not including the annual, out of the eight books, there's not one of these books you could pop on any month. Oh, no, no. And, and listen, the idea that they're making it so you can pop on every month is just stupid. Here's why. When we had Villains Month, half these books didn't even have books, right? So you, there was no place to, like, jump on. And this is and not even to mention, like, half these books uh, – I'm just frustrated now because, like, last month, that Joker's Daughter issue, that was Catwoman 24.3 or whatever it was, Villains Month. That wasn't a Batman book. That was a Catwoman book. You know, I mean, it's just – I don't know. It's it, the direction they've been doing this stuff in is is extremely frustrating. All right. So, Birds of Prey number twenty four. I'm going to give a total of two out of five batterings. Those batterings agree too. All right. So that's going to give Birds of Prey number twenty four two out of five batterings. Let's move into our next book, Batwoman number twenty four. That's it. Next time I start a gang, no women. Do you hear me? No women. Hey, Batwoman number 24, The Blood is Thick, Plots, writer W. Hayden Blackman and J.W. Williams, Williams III, artist Trevor McCarthy. We open up with the criminals that the DU has set free to trap the bat, trap Batman rampaging through Gotham. The Riddler, Poison Ivy, the Mad Hatter, Bane, etc. are all causing trouble. And although the other members of the Bat family are on the scene to help the scene, we do see uh, Red Robin, and we see Nightwing tangling with some of the people. Uh, Batman himself has has not arrived, but Batwoman knows that he will show up to take Bane down personally. Uh, we then cut to Agent Chase and Maggie having a confrontation at the police station, where Chase finds out that Maggie knows more about the plan than she's supposed to, and ends up with her and Bullock on the losing end of a power struggle, where they're both told to hand over their weapons. Batman finally shows up in the scene to fight Bane, just like that woman thought he would. He defeats Bane relatively quickly, injects him with a drug that clears his system of venom and will essentially have him laid up for for a good amount of time. Batman says he wants the name behind the attacks, uh, and Bane gives it up, tells him it is Bone. We then go to Flamebird, the first time we see her in this issue, and she is started on her rescue mission to get her, her cousin out. We didn't see the Batman confront Bones. You know, he starts questioning him, and of course, uh, Batwoman shows up and attacks Batman. Batman does maintain the upper hand in the fight until Batwoman thinks back to the advice she got from Bane and uses treachery to defeat Batman, or to at least gain the upper hand. Back to Flamebird, and we see she's made her way into the cell where Beth is, and she's getting ready to release her. Beth's got those long gloves on and asks her to please remove her gloves. Back to Batwoman, Batman and Batwoman fights. Batman asks Batwoman to stop the fight, but she responds by saying no, and then starts attacking him again. And that's the end of the issue. Next up, Batwoman in Zero Year. This is the end of the run of what, for me, has been a very, very good creative run. This has been my favorite title on the point five since I think we started doing the point five. I think we both agree this is one of the best titles. Is this, and I think we know the answer, so I guess I'm just opening up the discussion. Is this a good place to end a run? Uh, the answer is no, especially the way it very abruptly ended. Ugh. And that's not to say that 
that's not to say that the issue, the way it ended in the issue is bad. I mean, I'm sure the intent was to keep going. This Batwoman was not supposed to be part of Zero Year initially. I don't know why they were taken off the books. I don't know why it suddenly was thrusted into Zero Year. It doesn't make any sense. And I don't even, I can't even comprehend how it's going to, you know, how the the creative team that's coming on board is going to fix this. You know, there's, this is not just, you know, some, you know, small thing that they need to just, you know, they can sweep under the rug. This is a very, very large thing that they, has been happening for like multiple, multiple months. And this is what kind of what I was talking about with, in Birds of Prey, you know, the fact that like, this story has been going for as long as it has, and it's all been leading up to this. And here we are. Yep. And that's it. We're not even going to see the end. When you read the solicitations for the future books that aren't, you know, that with the new creative team, nothing related to what's happening here. To me, this is just like dumb, dumb decision by editorial. They can't. Come on. There is no way they can just drop this. And I mean, because this is like, like we talked, like you talked about during Birds of Prey, uh, the, Black, the Batwoman book. You know, Blackman and and Williams have to- always been fans of long form storytelling. And sometimes some of their arcs, like the Medusa arc, did feel like a couple issues long for me. But it wasn't bad; it just felt a little long. There's no way that they just dropped this here, right? And we start something else. I mean, literally, they are in the middle of a fight. <laughs> and, and we have this other thread with, with Riddler and Poison Ivy. Everyone's running loose in the city. And, I mean, you see kind of in the backgrounds here, here, that Poison Ivy's got, you know, Tim Drake tied up. And, and I just, to me, this is extremely disheartening to, to, to have it. And I don't understand why editorial would want it to end like this. This is just, this is just bad management, right? I don't know. There, like I said before, there has to be more to what we're being told. You know, Williams is still working on a DC book. It's not. You know, it almost it harkens back to when Greg Rucka and Williams were doing Batwoman on Detective Comics, and very abruptly, Greg Rucka left. Very, very abruptly, and it was basically like, you know, he left and he flipped the bird on his way out because. He was upset about whatever they decided to do. Then, a couple months later, Williams, who was still doing stuff with DC, uh, was it was announced that he was going to be working on Batwoman. And then, if you remember, Batwoman was delayed for like a year and a half right, because yeah. the New 52 started and they just were going to launch it at the, the beginning of the New 52. So then that happened, and you know they've been doing this the entire time. The book has solid sales. It, it's not, you know, it's not doing bad. It's got solid sales. It's it's critically well received. It's won awards. So the question is, what is the reason they got taken off the book? You know, it has to be more than they said they wanted to do the wedding, or they're off, or they they will just leave the book because it just feels like there's something else here that we were not told. And I'm not saying that we need to be told it because you know I can respect a creator who wants to keep business to business and not, you know, blast it off to the, you know, the ends of the earth. I can respect that. But there's got to be something more than, you know, well, we wanted to go this direction and they told us no, so we stepped off. Yeah. And and here's the thing, like, and this goes back to kind of the DC decision-making model recently. Even if they came to an impasse, even if, if they had sat across the table and I'm saying that, I'm not saying that your version of events is wrong. I'm saying it's probably correct. But even if they had sat across the table and realized that, that they were no longer going to be in the book, at least let them finish the story. You know, I mean, even if you're DC, why would you not want them to finish the story? I don't see where there's any downside here. I mean, if the book was halfway done, assumingly they'd already paid them for something. Yeah, I guess to me it's just real disappointment here. And 
in this. Now we have zero year in here next month, and I guess the other the other thing I have to, to really talk about is where do you think now that this book is going to go in direction with the new creative team? I mean, do you think that they'll shuffle off the story quickly? I mean, they still have to have an issue to wrap this up in some basic way, right? We can't just drop in the middle of the fight and show up six months later, or do you think maybe that is what we'll see, something like that? Well, the assumption is that we'll have to see something, because there's absolutely no way that they can end it with this fight happening, this issue, go into zero year, you know, pretend like, you know, the story's on hold, which they've done in the past, not necessarily on Batwoman, but with other books, and then just come back to it after the fact. And I just don't see that happening. I honestly feel as if, you know, they'll address it in some way, specifically because I know one of the solicitations for one of the upcoming issues references references Alice and her effect with uh, Kate Kane because she's no longer in, in custody with the DEO. So I, I don't know. It's, it's, so it's like something has to happen, but the question is how much will happen you know, is the creative team that's coming onto the book even working with the old creative team to kind of hash out some of the stuff that's left up in the air? Who knows? At this point, it really doesn't feel like it. No, it doesn't. This was a pretty, you know, if, if you had to put it in marriage terms, this was an ugly breakup, you know? This wasn't like a friendly, let's shake hands and share the kids and, and, and split the mortgage. This was uh, getting a couple lawyers and going to war. So, yeah, I'm, I guess the, the, the my final comments on the issue, I really don't have another question per se, is that for me it's just sad to see this, this run end like this with the creators of this kind of, uh, you know, cliffhanger that we're not going to see resolved by the original creative team. And just, they've done a really good book. And uh, it's sad to have them leaving the Batman universe and going on to the things they're doing because they were putting out one of the better titles out of all. Yeah, I would agree. I think this is a real shame that it is ending the way it is. Um, I've had some problems with the series, but that's just because of personal uh, aspects with, the, specifically, the one the one story arc that I actually know that I remember I specifically criticized was when uh, Wonder Woman got involved. I really didn't like that story arc, but um, going back and I read the trade that was recently released for the third volume, which deals with the whole Wonder Woman storyline. It actually is really it is really good. Um, and I, I at the time I think I was just I was probably criticizing it more than I needed to, specifically because there were just so many books that we were reviewing on a normal basis, and that's part of the reason, But and also because I just didn't understand the, the reason for bringing Wonder Woman into the book, but we rarely see any of the other Batman universe inside the book, so it is a shame, and uh, I unfortunately am not looking forward to what we see in this book going forward just because I'm I'm afraid that it's going to get mucked up pretty badly. Don't you think that with a book like Batwoman 2, because I've found myself criticizing it occasionally over the time, and it, it's, don't you think we're kind of giving this, and I don't know how else to say this uh, in New 52 continuity, the Scott Snyder treatment, where even the issues that we read are, are fine. There's never a bad issue, but we feel like it, it's like, you, you should give us better. We always want like the A game from them. I mean, we expect more. I mean, yeah, I think that I think that is probably what it is, and I think sometimes some of the criticism also happens because you know for a, for a while we were expecting a really really great art style from J.H. Williams, and then Trevor McCarthy comes in, and I'm not saying Trevor McCarthy is a bad artist; I think he's a good artist, but the problem is that he tries to like adjust his art style to kind of like not necessarily directly mirror, but in a way have similarities to what Williams does. And I always had a problem with that. But at the same time, I think overall, I think a lot of it just comes down to 
You know, the long form storytelling is great in trade form, but when it comes out in single issues, it, it just feels like it lasts forever and you, it doesn't really feel like you're going anywhere. But when you read it in trade form, it suddenly is a whole different thing and it, it makes perfect sense and flows perfectly. And that's why I said, like, when I read volume three, Batwoman volume three, World's Finest, it was, it was really good. And I was surprised because when I read it in single issue form, I was like, this is so bad. It, it, but a completely different form. It's it's written for a different medium. There is a lot of stories, too, I've noticed over time that there is, and I think you're right about Batwoman, is that it really does lend itself for, for a trade paperback form. And, and the art, too, because you know it's like when you get a trade, the uh, especially if you get the hardcover ones, the paper's a little glossier, you know what I'm saying? Uh, you don't have all the interruptions with the, uh, with the ads and stuff that are in a monthly comic. And for someone like J.H. Williams' art, remember all the splash pages he was doing for all those issues at the beginning? I think in a trade format, it really pops out better. So I totally agree. All right, so Batwoman number 24, I'm going to give a total of four out of five batteries. I'm going to give it four and a half out of five as a goodbye to our friends. So that's going to give Batwoman number 24 a total of four out of five batterings. Let's move into our next book, Talon number 12. You miserable little nobody! Talon number 12, written by James Tinian IV, art by Emmanuel Simone. The issue starts off with a little bit of a history of the butcher, uh, Felix Harmon, as we see how uh, the Court of Owls came across him. As it turns out, he also worked at Haley's Circus, and uh, he was uh, he was basically very strong, possibly stronger than most people. It almost seems like he had superpowers based off the first panel of him holding a locomotive attached to a train. Nonetheless, uh, we cut to the future time, where the Batbots are scanning for Santa Prisca, and they're unable to find it. Um, we see Batman talking with Calvin, explaining uh, they go to the public library, and they find that the court is no longer there, and everything's been wiped. Um, we find out that Felix Harmon is on, his, is on the lookout for Calvin. We see a little bit more of Felix Harmon's uh, past, where the court brought him in, and basically, his bloodthirst uh, outweighed what work the court wanted him to do, and they decided to uh, tell him that they needed to put him down. Cut to present time at a different base. Um, the court is explaining to him that uh, it's time to put him down, and they find out that he removed those balls and the back of his eyeballs that we saw a couple uh, issues ago. Where the implants were, would allow him, would allow them to basically put him out. Um, but instead, uh, he says he removed them. There's nothing they can do. And now he's going to come for everyone in the court. Uh, at Wayne Enterprises, Kelvin is talking with, uh, Lucius Fox, who is, uh, working on some new prosthetics, specifically for Casey Washington. Uh, Casey Washington, who has lost her arm in the midst of all of this, is trying to be comforted by Calvin. She smacks him around and says, get with it. This is, uh, there's stuff that needs to get done. You need to find my daughter. Uh, we then see someone get thrown through a, uh, a window, who in fact is one of the people, the, one of the agents of Casey Washington. And he's told, and Calvin's told that they actually have someone who needs to, he needs to go talk to. Turns out the person he needs to talk to is Batman. Batman explains, listen, Felix Harmon is on the loose and you need to find him. Um, and the court is back and I'm convinced that it's because you're around. Batman explains, the island of Santa Prisca is missing and all of the ships that were on their way towards Gotham that Calvin told him about are no longer around. 
and he doesn't know where they're at. So Batman says, listen, we're going to find Sarah, and Lucius has vouched for Casey Washington, but he hasn't vouched for you. So once we finish this, this is your final mission, and after that, you know, that's it. You're done. Uh, We then cut to 1862 at the Carpenter House for Boys, where we see the Felix Harmon, the butcher, who has killed a number of people and then made set the house on fire, all because of somebody that the court wanted him to take out. Uh, we learn that this was a huge thing that the court that haunted the city of Gotham for a lo- large period of time because there was 172 people die- that died. Uh, meanwhile, uh, present time, it appears that Felix Harmon has returned to the orphanage and he is approached by Sebastian Clark and says, listen, we need to take out the Corps of Owls. Uh, I meant to do something in Santa Prisca, but it's been destroyed. Uh, we need to do something and I think that we can work with each other. And I think that all of the people that you have a problem with, I have a problem with this problem with as well. So let's kill Gotham City. Next, the fall of the Owls. There's a couple of things that I want to talk about with this issue. The, the first thing is, this was one of the books where the, I had to reference, I had to go back and read, then read this issue again, and then reference things in 11 just to figure out what exactly happened. This entire story that's been happening in Talon for the last couple of months, it basically was... It was a Bane, you know, Bane was involved, Bane was a big part of what was happening, and, you know, I was talking about this in, I believe it was two episodes ago on the comic cast when we reviewed Arkham War, I was talking about, I don't understand the direction that Talon's going to go going forward based off of what's happening in Arkham War. Well, I will tell you that uh, if you read issue 11 and then you read this issue, you would probably have no idea what's going on because the end of the issue 11 basically had Bane boarding his ships headed towards Gotham to take out the Court of Owls. Uh, he is basically decides at the last second that he's not going to take out the Court of Owls and that he's not going to work with Sebastian Clark. It's at least implied that he killed Sebastian Clark and... He is then approached by someone who claims that they're from from a society and they have a proposition for him, um, and that's that. Then Arkham War happens, completely different situation, and here we are back at Talon. So the fact that Talon, number 11, dealt so heavily with the lead-up to Forever Evil Arkham War, number 1, mm-hmm. and then... We get to Talon number 12, and somehow all of the events that were happening before yes. are no longer happening. Mm-hmm. I, I don't get it. I don't know why Sebastian Clark's still alive. I really I, I went back and I referenced the, the last couple panels, and Sebastian Clark yells at Bane and says, Yo, you work for me. I've, I've built up your army. I spent all the money to build up your army, blah, 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 blah. And then all we see is a uh, what a, a, looks like a wham. And then he's not on panel, and then Bane talking to this person from the society who approached him. So I assumed at the time that Sebastian Clark was killed. Bane was just like, you know, screw you, I'm done with you. I'm going to kill you. Um, The fact that he didn't die, okay, that's not that big of a deal. The big deal is the fact that these boats were headed headed to Gotham City. Suddenly and conveniently, the boats are nowhere to be found, but in the pages of uh, Forever Evil Arkham War... Mm. The boats have already arrived, and it's already happening. Somehow, also, because that 
and this is the problem, and, I, and this is the problem that I mentioned before in the comic cast, is that you've got a book that has nothing to do with the majority of stuff happening in the Batman universe, heavily referencing a, a, uh, uh, an event happening in the DC universe. It's not fully affected by it. Batman's still in talent. Bane is supposed to be in Gotham City right now, according to the, the events of Forever Evil. So why is it that Talon set up Forever Evil Arkham War so well if it was just nothing but a setup and now we're not even referencing anything that's actually happened in the book prior to this? Well, here's the thing. Um, I agree with you that this doesn't make any sense, but the other problem I have is uh, I know that this uh, is the events that we're seeing in Arkham War, and I'm reading Arkham War, so I can't even blame not reading it. But it does feel that we're seeing two separate set of events here, slightly. Almost like we're seeing it through a mirror or a reflection of an event, you know? Because these events don't seem to be the exact same event. Does that make any... Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, they, they, Sebastian's dead, now he's not, the ships are coming, he's going to... He, society sounds good, never mind, he's going to start a war. I just... If you're going to have something crossover, if you're going to have a plot crossover, then you need to work together on some basic level to make sure that it makes sense. It's not so much to me that Sebastian Clark is alive. It's the fact that it seems to me like one writer thought he was supposed to kill him, and one writer didn't want him to be dead. Um, The worst part is that it's the same writer. I can't even. I don't know. Doesn't it seem like this is two different... I know there's a ton of plot similarities, and I know that I'm wrong about what I'm going to say, but doesn't it on some level feel like these are two totally different stories? It does feel like that. It does feel like they are supposed to be two different stories. But the problem is that they are so closely related and the fact that the editors keep putting in all these notes as seen in Forever Evil Arkham War number one. That's the biggest problem. And that's what makes me believe that this is definitely supposed to be within the same continuity is the fact that the editors specifically put notes in the book saying, oh, if you're looking for what happened here, Reference this book, which is the other book in question of why this book is happening the way it is. And I, I, I listen. If those editors' notes weren't there, I would. I, I'm not joking at all. By the way, if those editors' notes hadn't been there, I would have came on this podcast tonight and told you that these were separate stories that just happened to be incredibly similar. They, I mean, they feel it really feels like Bane came to Gotham to fight the Talons, and then six months later he came back to start an Arkham War. Do you know what I'm saying? Yes, like I do. And, you know, honestly. <laughs> As much as I would uh, be completely hesitant about that, I'd be more willing to accept that than you know believing that you know. No, okay, well, I, I you know I I definitely have my doubts because I I'm I was positive that this is dealing. I think that there's a gazillion problems with it, but it really just feels as if if you did say that and the editor's notes weren't there, at least there'd be some possibility that that would be a, that would be the case. It really feels like two different events. I wish they hadn't put the notes in, because then I could, again, I would think it would be stupid, but it could make sense. <sighs> when you're going to have crossover, whether you like crossovers or dislike crossovers, that's not really the issue here. The issue is if you're going to have them, you have to make the basic continuity make sense, and in this case, it just doesn't. Yeah, and I think that's the biggest problem, is the fact that like you have two different writers who it almost feels as if someone said, okay, so here's what we're going to do with Forever Evil Ark Mortar. Who, what book would this perfectly, what, what book could we use to kind of set this up? And they thought, well, Talon, you know, this could work because we could have Bane in there. Let's, let's do it in Talon. So they started doing it. But the problem is it almost feels as if Tinian and Tomasi talked at, 
never talked with each other about what they were doing in the books to make sure that it would work. I should say this. It feels as if Tinian was writing a story to set up Arkham War. Arkham War happened, and suddenly Tinian was like left with, okay, I set it up, but now what do I do? I've got to like continue on my story, but I can't keep it flowing with whatever's happening in Arkham War. So all of a sudden we get this story that feels it's a different writer writing something similar, but not the same as to what we were reading before. Yeah. That's what it feels like. And, you know, I'm not saying that Tinian's bad because for the most part, you know, he's done a good job with what he's got. Um, the one thing that I, I did forget to mention earlier is that Tinian is, is actually, he's leaving Talon. Yes. In right. January, I believe, is his last issue. And then, or it's either December or January, he's leaving Talon because he's going to be working on Batman Eternal. So it's interesting that only a couple months before he leaves, this is what happens. It almost it almost feels as if, and, and then the, the really interesting thing is, he, his last issue is in December. January, the person taking over the book is uh, Marguette Bennett, who a couple months ago worked on the Batman annual with Scott Snyder, and also happens to be another former pupil of Scott Snyder's, just like James Tinian. And she's that when she comes in, the solicitation reads that they are flashing back to, I believe, the 1920s to give more history about the Court of Owls. So who knows whether or not it will actually have anything to do with Talon after, or uh, I should say Calvin, after Tinian leaves. There's no, there's no way of knowing that for sure. But to me, it just feels as if Tinian had a plan with what he was going to do, but somehow forever evil happened. And he had to like really quickly try to figure out what to ch- what what to do to change it and do it quick because this book feels completely disconnected from what happened in the previous book, other than just you know having these random scenes with Casey and Calvin and Batman and Calvin. It just other than that, it's completely disconnected from what they were setting up all of this time. Yeah, no, I mean it's it. I think that you're pro- you're probably right. I. That makes the most sense. Um, and I'm not really sure if we're going to keep Calvin around. I mean, I guess the book's called Talon, so I guess it's you have to keep Calvin around. But to me, and this may sound bad, half on purpose, but is it like the least part, the least interesting of this book? Part of this book is Calvin. The villains are more interesting than Calvin is. Casey's more interesting than Calvin is. Isn't he kind of like the worst part of the book? Yeah, especially since they decided to make him. A talent talent. Yeah, a talent talent with the, the, you know, the regenerative stuff that they ran through his blood a couple months ago. I mean, there's a lot of problems. There's The other problem is, you know, just a couple months ago when the, the court took control of Calvin and said, listen, we've got Casey and Sarah and they're ours now and we are making you a real talent. And they did that and then they sent him off to Santa Prisca to deal with Bane. He goes to Santa Prisca. But what happened to the court trying to figure, you know, dealing, you know, what happened? Casey Washington escaped. Okay, fine. But somehow the court just reverted back to blame the butcher because she escaped. What about Calvin? Why isn't Calvin reporting to the court still? Because they don't have Casey? Well, they still have Sarah. Why Why does he no longer work for them? Why has he got all the time in the world to chat it up with Batman? Yeah, it's, like, it doesn't mean, I mean, again, I, I, I think that, Tinian's plot was probably wrecked here by what happened with Arkham War. And I would, I would have to mention, it would be fairly difficult as a writer if you're writing something. They said, oh, well, we'll we're going to take your main plot point and give it to Tomasi in Arkham War. You, you have fun with what's left now. You know? 
Um, but yeah, it's this book has become really disjointed, and I think that, like you said, when he became a talent, talent that was kind of the end of of the character, in my opinion, being the central part of the book. Um, I think it would be better if, if one, I think that the most logical conclusion, conclusion maybe to cancel this book and go in a different direction with a new book if you want to. But if not, let's just get let's get uh, let's get Calvin Rose out there and and maybe go in a different direction. I think they just need to cancel this book. I mean, like. Yeah, it's it. You know, as great as as great as the Court of All story was, I didn't like the idea of them starting a Talon series to focus more on the Court of Owls. It really felt like, hey, this was a successful thing, so let's spin something off of it so we can, you know, ride the coattails of this other thing. It just felt like that from the very beginning, and you know, there has been some decent stories in here. There, you know, they haven't been that bad. You know, looking back at the ratings that we've given the book, it hasn't been you know, really bad, you know, it's just, it's average. To me, it just feels as if, okay, so here we are, uh, you know, it's been over a year since Corval has ended. This book has ran for a year now. Do we really need to keep going? I don't feel like we do. I feel like, you know, you know, you know, especially if we're going to turn, revert the book to let's learn history lessons about the Court of Owls for the next six months. Just, well, ugh. no, I don't want to. I, you know... <laughs> I don't need to know <laughs> no, more, and more and more about the, the Court of Owls. There's a gazillion other characters that I'd like to see in the books and like to have my money go towards rather than having to sit here and think about the Court of Owls every single month for no reason other than, you know, them just wanting to ride the coattails of the Court of Owls story. The only way I could see this becoming interesting if they were going to have a Court of Owls, and, and by the way, I agree. We do not need a Court of Owls book. I don't think we need a Riddler monthly book either. I mean, it's not that I don't dislike the Court of Owls, you know. Um, but the only way I could see this possibly working, and again, I don't think that I, my my primary thing would be shut it down and start a new book. But if, if you had to keep it going, then I'm thinking then maybe like totally shift it to the 1920s and leave it there with a whole new supporting cast of characters, a, a new hero, a new, you know, I mean, that's the only way to do it for me because... Well, see, the problem with that is, and, I, you know, that is, I wouldn't mind that, but the problem is that you wouldn't be able to involve Batman. So anytime the book starts to slump in sales, who can you really throw in the book to make the book pop back up? There's always throw, time travel. Yeah, there is, I guess, but... Uh, you know what it happened. Court, Court of Owls <laughs> never really dealt with that time travel aspect of it other than just you know having them frozen in time until they wake them back up but really i mean it just comes down to the book's been slumping you know and i hate to say this because i really enjoy this book but all-star western i've enjoyed the book since the beginning of the new 52 um and i think it's a really good book and i i never actually minded having to pay an extra dollar compared to most of the other comics because they had the backup in it. Um, but All-Star Western, it was really good, and it really just felt like it started to get below a certain point as far as sales go, and then suddenly they jettisoned Jonah Hex to more modern times in Gotham City so he could deal with some of the the things that are in Gotham City nowadays. And it just felt like, well, this was a character who, that was taking place in the past, was still dealing with elements of, of Gotham City that we know and, you know, we, we know a, a decent amount about. But sales, sales started to slump, so what are we going to do? We're going to jettison him to the future where, you know, we can have Batman pop in. 
And I'm not saying it's bad, I still enjoy it, but it just, that's what it seems like it happens. Like, it's very hard to have period books when you can't involve characters that you can easily throw in to, to you know, get higher sales. But see, that's the, when they do that with books, I think that they lose their individuality. I mean, what was cool about All-Star Western was the fact that it was a period book, right? I mean, we don't need another, I mean, I know that we have, there's continuity and all that, but we don't need another guy in Gotham chasing down the same bad guys that Batwoman, Nightwing, Red Robin, blah, 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 you know what I'm saying? I mean, I, I just think if you're, if you're going to keep talent, and I agree that it should be just be canceled, first and foremost, but if you're going to keep talent around, give them the opportunity to try something special with it, and if no one buys it, then just cut your losses and give us a Red Robin book, because that's what we all really want. All right, so talent number 12, I'm going to give a total of two out of five batteries. Three out of five. Hey, Miz, I, I complain about it as much as I did when I put it up against some of the other books we read this month. It seems better. All right, so that's going to give Talon number 12. He told two and a half out of five batarangs. Let's move into our next book Teen Titans number 24. Hey, do I hit your kids? Oh, actually, I do. Teen Titans number 24, Caught Up in a Circle, writer Scott Liddell, artist Angel and Zunte. Uh, this uh, story opens up in the past with uh, Bunker praying in a church uh, long before he was a member of the Teen Titans. Uh, Red Robin appears and tells him that he must be at a specific place at a specific time in the future, uh, and then Red Robin disappears, pulled off into some type of uh, shimmering time-space vortex. Uh, we then cut to uh, ancient Egypt, quote, more or less, where Wonder Girl and Superboy appear from the vortex, and Red Robin is waiting for them there. He tells them that they have three minutes to fend off the Sumerian army before they will also be pulled back into the vortex. We then cut to a scene that shows that the Titans are being spread out constantly in this flash page uh, through the time stream. We see them in all different times and places, uh, and this is a result of what happened to them after what Johnny Quick did to them in Forever Evil issue number two, if you get anyone hadn't read that. Uh, we then see the far future with Bart and Solstice, Solstice uh, in the future on a ship where Bart actually confronts his future self and tries to vain to talk to him out of an action that will kill thousands, uh, but he doesn't change his mind. The other Bart sees him as some kind of a shape-shifting villain and, and, and tells uh, Kid Flash as he's running off that what he's doing is going to liberate an entire galaxy. Uh, then we, we, we cut to Raven, who has also been traveling through time. She's in the far past fighting Etrigan, the demon. Uh, Wonder Girl shows up and tells Raven that, that she may need a pen and, and gives her basically a compressed version of what is actually going on and tells her that Red Robin has figured out that that they are traveling uh, sometimes as individuals and sometimes as part of a group, uh, but they're being thrown all around time, and the only way to stop them is to have Raven hold on to their souls and mark them as her own. Uh, we then, at the very end of the issue, see Raven saying that they have given her what she wanted to take through manipulation. They've given it to her of their own free will, the ability to mark their souls as their own, and she asks the fa- her father, Trigon, if she can come home. Uh, next up, in only a few minutes, Teen Titans Annual Number Two. <laughs> Just confining it to this issue here, which uh, could 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 be difficult. Um, we get to see Red Robin, uh, Tim, really starting to become the definitive leader of the team now. Do you think that we're seeing some growth from his character in the past couple months here compared to where he was just six months ago in this book? You know, I, I feel like we have seen some growth, but I think. It, it doesn't really feel like it's happened in the pages of this, this series. Mm. It really feels as if anything that's happening is not, you know, you know, for, uh, Teen Titans appeared in Forever Evil. I'm reading that series as well. As brief as it was, it really just feels like suddenly because the event that they were in, 
bam, suddenly we've got, you know, more leadership on Tim's part. Um, it, it doesn't feel like it's grown. It just feels like it's happened suddenly. Um, and I don't think that's necessarily a good thing because as a book that's supposed to be focusing on these characters, we're supposed to see their growth. Um, with Superboy, if you see, see growth in Superboy, the actual series, well, that's fine because he's got his own book. But in the pages of Teen Titans, this is the only place we're seeing Tim Drake grow as a character. So if we don't see it in this book, it's not happening. It's not happening the way it should be. So I think that uh, he is a better leader, but I don't think it's been shown that he has grown into a better leader. It's just suddenly it's thrusted upon him. Yeah, and to be honest with you, when I when I first started thinking about this this question, um, I realized that you what you said there was right. I hadn't seen him become a better leader, but it still felt. And this is a trap I think a lot of us long term uh, Batman or D- DC Comics fans, for that matter, in general, fall into, which is we're still using New Fifty Two information to make our choices. I mean. And we know the world's changed now. I mean, I keep like, well, this is how Tim Drake should act because he's a competent, smart guy, you know. Um, but, yeah, it is very sudden. Um, I'm almost willing to look, although I agree with you that you should see the growth of the character, I'm almost willing to, to turn a blind eye to the lack of development just by having a Tim Drake that is semi-recognizable uh, from his original character, if that makes any sense. Yes, it does. And I, and I understand that, and I, I agree. You know, to me, it... it you know, I'd rather see a Tim Drake the way I am used to seeing Tim Drake rather than what we've been seeing. But at the same time, because it's so different from what we have seen recently, it almost feels as if they should have at least taken the time to show us the, the, the growth of the character. Yeah, no, I think you got there. And then the other thing that uh, we hear is that we get some basic information, um, Bart, Kid Flash in the future, nothing too in-depth, but just kind of the idea that he's thinks he's liberating the galaxy. It looks like the classic he's doing the wrong thing for all the right reasons type deal. Um, are you starting to have any opinion on Bart and his future crimes yet, or do we still not have enough information? You know, I don't think we have enough, not enough information. I think that, well, again, I know that based off the solicitations for the coming months, this series is going to deal heavily with uh, Bart in his future crimes and the evil Bart um, even going as far as into January at this point. So I, I think that at this point, it's, you know, this is, again, they're playing a long story. Um, but for but I think that this could be only, you know, a four-issue story because realistically when you look at the last couple, the last issue really didn't deal so heavily. Like, it, it was kind of like a wrap-up kind of let's end the story arc in a nice way. And, you know, for the most part, Teen Titans is, they don't tell the long form. They just have these little plot points, which you see in a lot of different books. Nightwing is another one of those series that, you know, They'll hint at other things that are to come, but for the most part, it, they're pretty self-contained story arcs. They just hint at other things that will eventually lead into other things. And it feels as if Teen Titans is another one that's doing the exact same thing. Shorter story arcs, but they're constantly leading you to believe or leading you on to what's going to come next. So with this, it almost feels like, okay, here we are. Month one of the next four months is probably going to be this story of the time travel and dealing with Bart. It's convenient, though, how Johnny Quick was involved in bringing them into this time warp, considering that uh, at the end of Teen... Uh, well, considering that the time there was a time or there was a, there was a black hole or whatever at the beginning of the last issue of Teen Titans that they all had to work out of not getting pulled through because Bart was getting pulled through and it was the, the past people trying to get him 
and somehow conveniently the next month they all get thrown into the exact same thing that sends Bart back to where he was supposed to, where he was getting pulled in the month before. So it was a little convenient and also kind of interesting how somehow that couldn't have occurred in its own issue because they had to wait a month so that the forever evil people would or for for the crime syndicate Johnny Quick to throw them into the time warp himself. Yeah, and again, I think it would be confusing if you were reading Teen Titans and not reading Forever Evil. Um, you go from them to all of a sudden they're thrown into the time warp uh, by Johnny Quick, and he, that all happens, quote-unquote, off the book. Um, but uh, that's pretty much all I have for this issue, because uh, a lot of it, unfortunately, bleeds into the annual. All right, so Teen Titans number 24, I'm going to give a total of 2.5 out of 5 veterans. Uh, I'm going to give it, unbelievably enough, here comes the shocking moment of the day, 3.5 out of 5 veterans. Alright, so that's going to give Teen Titans number 24 a total of 3 out of 5 veterans. Let's move into our last book, Teen Titans Annual Number 1. Hey, naughty boy, mama speak! Teen Titans Annual, My Future, My Enemy. Writer, Scott Liddell. Artist, Barry Kitson. We open up with Red Robin, Superboy, and Wonder Girl, and a future destroyed slash wrecked version of the Batcave. Uh, as Red Robin, Robin reminds everyone that this is just one possible future, not necessarily the only future, but just one possible way that this could work out, Wonder Girl finds the dead body of Batman. Um, Rod Robin notices that Bruce has only been dead for about six months, and then finds what is left of the remains of Alfred as well. As he wonders aloud who could have done this, they trigger a hologram from Batman telling the Justice League that they should go to ground and save the children, and that he will hold them hold him here. Uh, the group is then transported to the Justice League satellite, where they are greeted by Beast Boy, who is now older and more Beast Man than uh, Beast Boy. He tells them that although the Justice League may be a thing of the past, that a new team is rising. Uh, we see the new team is training, included Rose, Rose Wilson, uh, her daughter, and some other young heroes. As soon as one of them sees uh, Superboy, he attacks him, blaming him for the deaths in, in Coral City. Uh, Superboy renders him unconscious with his tactile telekinesis. And Red Robin and Beastman go to talk alone. Uh, Superboy doesn't even know who, where, what Coral City is at this point. Uh, Superboy then goes outside in space to think uh, when he is contacted by John, who he rushes off to meet. Uh, Beastman tells Red Robin that they are now 18 years in the future and that Superman has been missing all this time. Uh, so that the world no longer had heading defenses for uh, Superman or Kryptonians. Out of nowhere, Superman's son, Superman's son, the being that Superboy was cloned off of, shows up uh, and began killing every metahuman on the planet. When, when Robin asks why he's telling him all this, because uh, it could damage the timeline if he, if he goes back to the past and has knowledge of the future, future, Beast Boy tells him that in the past, Ten told him that he would meet him in the future and he would have to tell him every word that he, word that he is now telling him. Uh, so this is all part of Robin's plan. Uh, Cassie has to bypass a lock on the satellite. Uh, and, and, and go into another room. Um, and outside, we cut back to Superboy. He meets John, who is Superman's son from the future, um, and he shared with him tele, tele, telepathically every kill he has made. So Superboy's actually had to feel you know, what John felt when he, when he killed all those metal humans. Uh, and Superboy and him start this big fight. Uh, we come back to Tim, who asks why he should trust Beastman, and he tells him that the whole thing was his plan, and to prove it, he calls him by his real name and says that his name is Tim Drake, something that Tim, at this point, hadn't told any other member of the team and shows that this is someone that Tim eventually would be, would completely trust. Um, Cassie then finds a hologram of Tim where he says that, that Cassie and the others have been murdered by one of their own and that they were betrayed by one of the Titans. 
uh, Raven arrives and knocks Cassie out, as well as removing the memory of what she just saw. Raven says that she may have a stronger attachment to Cassie because of the silent armor she wears, which was made to battle her father. Um, Superboy defeats John, uh, but before he can finish him off, and it does look, 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 in fact, he is going to finish him off and kill him, he is actually whisked off through another portal to the pages of Action Comics Annual Number 2, uh, per the editor's note. Uh, Beastman then goes out in a spacesuit to retrieve John's almost dead corpse and bring him back into the satellite. Uh, although Rose wants to kill him, he stops her. Uh, they remove his clothes and banish his wounds so that the Titans will mistake him uh, for their Superboy. And Raven says that they have little time and they must all leave together now if they're going to leave at all to go find Solstice and Kid Flash. Uh, the team teleports out with John thinking he is their, uh, their Superboy. Uh, Beastman tells Rose that sending John with them was the only chance they had. Next up, the trial of Kid Flash. You know, when I got done reading this, um, anytime I kind of have one of these alternative future stories I read in comics or any other type of literature for that matter, I guess the first question I always have is, you know, what did you think of this kind of alternate future we're presented here? Is it something that was interesting enough to engage you or just never really clicked for you? You know, I think it was interesting to, to a point. I mean, the thing is, um, basically, this, this issue explains why uh, Superboy is going to die in the next couple of months because it's not the real Superboy. Um, we also, I don't really understand why, for whatever reason, we have to have, we have Teen Titans one week, then the next week we have Teen Titans annual, and then Superboy is also in Action Comics annual, which is coming out in the exact same day as the Teen Titans annual. So I think it's interesting that for whatever reason, Superboy has to be in three different comics, but at the same time, somehow they're all supposed to flow together as far as the timeline of all of it goes, and that's most likely because Scott Lobdell's doing all, you know, he's he's basically doing the structure of this entire story. Um, that being said, I think that the alternate universe was interesting. Um, you know, the Justice League's dead. Clearly, somehow, whoever, whoever killed Batman punched a hole through him, given the hole in the bat suit. Um... I am curious, though, as to whoever killed him, why they just took his body and stuck it into a glass case. It seems a little odd. Why would anybody ever come across the body? Why would they take the time? Especially since they chose to disintegrate Alfred into ashes. Um, so, um, my guess is that this, this obviously, the, the intent is that this was the Superboy of this world, the John character. Um, why they send John back with the Teen Titans. Doesn't make a lot of sense. Who was the hologram person referring to when that that Cassie stumbled across when they said that uh, one of the Teen Titans betrays them? Were they were referencing Beast Boy? Were they referencing uh, Raven? Were they referencing Tim Drake? Uh, who knows? You know, there's 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 a lot of questions that get answered in this, but I think that ultimately the portrayal of this future verse it was interesting, especially to see some characters that, you know, do exist, like Beast Boy, like uh, Rose Wilson, at least, you know, she's older, but she has a daughter. It's interesting to see these characters incorporated. Yeah, um, I think there is a lot of interesting stuff here. Um, you know, and there's, there's some, some decent enough questions that are asked that 
could lead to some good stories, I hear. It is curious, you know, did, did Beast Boy send the wrong John back on purpose? I mean, he did it on purpose, but was it of a malicious intent or was it a non-malicious intent? Is Raven really the traitor here or is it somebody else? Um, so I think there is enough interest here. And that actually brought me to the next point was I, I, I feel like it's almost so obvious that we're supposed to assume that Raven's the traitor because she's acting in a traitor's manner by always trying to, you know, be a traitor. Um, that do you think in the end of the story, Raven's going to be? Is it going to be the obvious traitor, or do you think it is going to be somebody else? Well, I mean, I I would think you know, I would hope that it's not Raven, just for a writing standpoint, because then we would get a story that we wouldn't necessarily expect. So I would hope that she's not. But if it's not her, I don't really know who it's going to be. Um, now. I will admit, I haven't been reading Animal Man, so I don't really understand the red and the green, but I was under, I thought Beast Boy was red. And I know they mes- there was a mention of, well, he's got a different color now, and he was green. I think Superboy said, oh, you're a different hue than you were before. But I, I, I mean, Beast Boy was always green, and then in the New 52, suddenly he was red when, the, when he was in the Ravagers. And that no, was green. And now he's now he's suddenly green. So I, I didn't really understand that. They didn't really address that at all. The fact that this Tim Drake would somehow know who Beast Boy is, yet he's a different color and that's not really addressed, that's that's a little weird to me. And, and you know what was funny was that his daughter with uh, Rose Wilson in here was red. Did you notice that? Yes. Do you think this was an... And that, that was kind of another point I had next, so let's just talk about it now. Do you think this is an art cock-up? Do you think someone just screwed up? I mean, because if not, this is a fairly major issue, right? Him changing colors? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, like... <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's weird. I mean, the thing is, there was there was a mention. Like, Superboy says something about the hue, and I took that as he was referencing the fact that it was a different color. So I assumed that that was not a mess-up. But at the same time, I don't... Because it wasn't explained, I just it doesn't make any sense. Because ever since the New Fifty Two has started, the animal stuff has always been the red side. The plant stuff has always been the green side, and they've made. The, I mean, they've 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 worked at that for a while. You know, Swamp Thing and Animal Man, very clear sides of the the, the the page. So it's interesting that this would have happened, and he's suddenly green, and they don't address it at all. Yet somehow Tim has no problem trusting him despite the fact that he is not the same person that they knew. So, I don't know. I see, I guess that's why he throws out the uh, that he knows Tim's name, right? And that's supposed to give him the, the instant credibility, in a way. But, I don't know. I mean, I, I have to believe that there's something there. That they didn't just change his color... Uh, so that Superman could make some side joke. And the fact that he sends back the, well, literally the wrong Superboy with him, even though he knows it's the wrong Superboy. Um, you know what I'm saying? It just, it, what's the old the old adage, doesn't pass the smell test? You know? Yeah. Um, I think that's what we have here. It just doesn't seem to pass the smell test to me. But uh, I do think that the traitor is going to be someone other than Raven, just because I think that that's so obvious that I think they'll try to stay away from that. Um, I if I had to pick someone, I guess I would pick Sol- Solstice just because she's the character that I think we all know the least about. And how many times have we seen it where it's always it's the, the character that nobody cares about? You know, yeah. 
Um, that's, that's normally the case with uh, Suicide Squad. It's always the character you care the least about. Yeah, it's like, well, this guy just got here four issues ago, and now he's a traitor, and you're like, and? You know, I mean, so that's why I think it's Solstice, because we have no history with her. Um, maybe they'll prove me wrong, uh, but Scott Lodell hasn't made a career out of proving me wrong. Um, so, you know, that's that's kind of where it is there. Um, now, you mentioned something that I guess is the worst-kept secret in the world. Superboy's supposed to die, I guess. They're not going to kill this the wrong Superboy, right? I mean, is the actual Superboy going to die, or is this other one going to die? I don't know. I mean, now that we're presented with two Superboys, one of them is dying. I mean, that's that's a given. But I think the solution is going to be that it's only one of them that's going to die. I'm not sure exactly which one is supposed to die, if it's supposed to be uh, the real Superboy from Earth Prime, or if it's this, this uh, John Superboy from the alternate universe or parallel world or timeline or whatever. Um, it's, you know, it's completely unknown as to which one it's going to be, but it has been said that one of them is going to die. So if I was going to predict which one is going to die, I would predict that it would, in fact, be the, the original Superboy that first, you know, popped up in the New 52. That would be my guess. And the only reason being is whatever the reason that this other Superboy is getting pulled back, it's going to have some sort of reasoning for him being pulled back, that the other Superboy could eventually become him. Um, now, they did point out that the Superboy that, you know, destroyed all of these superheroes was the actual son of Superman, while uh, Connor is the clone of Superman. And that's the difference between the two. So, I mean, that means if this, if uh, John, the... Uh, the son of Superman gets pulled back to the present time. Eventually, Superman is still going to have a son, so then he's got two. So there'd actually be three Superboys. I don't know. It's just it's it's a little, little too confusing. confusing. And I don't read Superboy, so I have no knowledge of what the heck is actually going on. Yeah. Um, but it just feels like they're really doing a whole lot with Superboy for whatever reason right now. Yeah, and that's the problem, too, is I read nothing in the Superman world. Literally nothing. Um, apart from Justice League, that doesn't count. He just hasn't been it. Um, so I have no idea what's going on. Um, I meant to. I just got too busy of maybe going to some Superman check sites and check out what's going on here for this issue because I think that it, it feels those of us that are approaching it from the Batman side uh, a little lost. At you know, because there's a there's like you said there's a Superboy and there's apparently our Superboy is a clone of Superman's son who is actually a murderer from the future or is it another dimension? I mean, it just <laughs> I, it's, it's outside of our, elm, our, our our level of comfort, and I felt really kind of lost with it overall. Um, but I, I do think that what we're presented with here could have a very interesting story come from it. Um, so at least on that level, I'm very hopeful for the future of, of the title. That's all I got. All right, so Teen Titans Annual number one, I'm going to give a total of three out of five veterans. I am going to give this one also three and a half out of five veterans. Alright, so that's going to give Teen Titans Annual number one, three out of five batterings. That is all of our books. Uh, let's start off and get into listener Q&As. <laughs> hey boy, did you get a wrong number? Leave your message at the sound of the shriek. No, please, don't! As far as listener Q&As go, we only have one, and it goes way, way, way back to episode 
which if you remember correctly, posted in the middle of September. Uh, we do have one comment, so we'll read that now. It comes from Terry. Uh, they say, hey guys, great episode. I read most of these books, but my friends do not, so I'm always glad to hear someone's thoughts on them, even if it is via podcast. I do have a few thoughts about some of the issues you covered here. You mentioned this, and I really don't think it would happen either, but this arc of Red Hood and the Outlaws would be a perfect place to try and show just how in continuity Batman Incorporated is supposed to be. I know that Jason doesn't have his memories right now, but if he gets his memories back at all here, which I don't see how they will avoid it, it would seem that the fact that he was in the Batcave when Talia died would be important given that he is the leader of the League of Assassins right now. I get that Tinian probably didn't know what Morrison had planned, but all it would take would be a few well-placed mentions or a single-page flashback to establish that there are obvious connections between the events of Batman Incorporated and what's going on in this title. And with Teen Titans, I have one question. Can we please get an issue without kissing? I have no particularly aversion to romance in comics, but so much of the teen angst and romance that should be very natural in a book that focuses on teenage superheroes comes across as forced and awkward. I don't have any real problems with Scott Lobdell, but when the issues are heavy on that type of content, it just seems pretty obvious to be an older adult trying to project what he thinks teenage life might be onto these characters, and it doesn't flow naturally. And the kissing scenes are just the most obvious example of this for me. Lastly, I just wanted to say that this issue of Talon, we also got some sort of explanation on how Casey's friends got to Santa Prisca so quickly. At the end of the issue, they tell Calvin how quickly they got to Gotham, and at least offer some explanation, even if it is a bit farcical, as to on how these characters could be informed that they needed to go to Santa Prisca and then be there all in the span of one fight that Calvin is in during the previous issue. Keep up the good work, guys. Well, thank you, Terry, for sending your message. Um, to, to go over your questions, let's go from beginning to end. Uh, first, with the League of Assassins, you know, I kind of talked about this a little bit when we were talking about Red Hood and the Outlaws. Yes, it would be great if they referenced Batman Incorporated. It really just feels like... Uh, not only would Tinian not know what they were doing with Red Hood and the Outlaws, but in some regards, it really just, as I said earlier, just feels like Tinian is trying to continue the story that was already happening in Red Hood and the Outlaws, that Scott Lobdell was writing before Tinian came onto the book. And slowly but surely, he's, he, you know, he's getting out of it. Why, and like, the, the whole reason I thought he was getting his memory wiped initially was so that they could start fresh not have to deal with the all-cast, not have to do with the untitled, just say, okay, all that stuff's gone, we're going to start fresh. But instead, we're we're thrusted right back into it all. So I think ultimately it would be great if they referenced Batman Incorporated, especially with the heavy influence of League of Assassins, Ra's al Ghul, Jason Todd. It makes perfect sense for them to deal with it. Um, but honestly, I think that the only place that we're probably actually going to see any reference of it is actually in the pages of Batman and Robin, which if you, uh, in episode 126, which released last week, uh, we reviewed Batman and Two-Face, which is Batman and Robin number 24, and they do reference Batman Incorporated, and they do also reference Ra's al Ghul, and it kind of foreshadows that Ra's al Ghul will be a part of some upcoming storyline in Batman and Robin. So, needless to say, I think that this Ra's al Ghul thing, League of Assassins, it's not going to last very much longer. It's probably going to last maybe a couple more months um, before we get into some different stuff. 
Yeah, I think that you're probably right. Um, I did like in the Batman and Robin slash Batman and Two Face issue that we had some 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 notice, but it does seem like for the most part that the Batman Inc. stuff, again, besides Damien's death, never uh, never happened. All right. So then your next question that you asked was specifically about can we get an issue without kissing? Well, I think you got two because. Correct me if I'm wrong, Ed, but I don't remember seeing any kissing in Teen Titans 24 or the Angels. I think they were kiss-free, and so was Talon and Birds of Prey, for that matter. We may have had a kiss-free month, actually. Yep. So, hopefully you're happy about that. Uh, Then on to Talon. Um, Yes, we do get a little bit of an explanation as far as how Casey's friends got there so quick. But, uh, (laughs) unfortunately, the, the fact that they got there so quick and how farcical it is, it just leads us onto how the entire series just completely is uh, nose-end up as far as uh, figuring out exactly what the heck's going on in this in this, this series right now. So, if you've got any comments about this, this issue and how it takes a completely different turn of events based off of what we saw in the last issue, I'd love to hear your thoughts, or anybody else's thoughts for that matter, as far as uh, some of the, the things we discussed here on this uh, episode as far as some of the problems. So if you have your if you have questions or concerns about some of the books or about some of the characters that we 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 talk about here in the books, make sure to uh, email us at podcast at thebanguniverse.net or let us uh, or you can post your comments in the podcast post below the episode on the uh, in the comment section below the episode on the website. Um, with that, as I mentioned earlier, I, I said we were going to start dropping some books. Um, so I will tell you, as of right now, uh, we will be dropping Batman Superman starting next month, uh, since we did run through the first story arc, especially since the solicitations for the next couple months uh, specifically reference the fact that the characters uh, that are going to be involved in the books are going to be more Superman characters. So we will be dropping Batman Superman. Uh, I will say that uh, going forward, uh, Teen Titans as well as Red Hood and the Outlaws will most likely be dropped. Uh, we're going to continue with them for the time being, uh, specifically because we've kind of already got thrusted into this story arc with uh, Teen Titans. And uh, the reason being is that Batman Eternal, the weekly series that's set to launch sometime in the spring of 2014, the weekly Batman series is supposed to have Tim Drake as a main character in that series. Um, and that will be the Tim Drake book that we will feature. Um, and since that will be more tied to the Batman universe than this is, since this really isn't tied to the Batman universe other than Tim Drake just appearing in the book. Um, so, uh, and same thing with Red Hood and the Outlaws. The reason we'll continue to do Red Hood and the Outlaws is because, as of right now, with the League of Assassins, Ra's al Ghul, and Jason Todd, it is pretty Batman-centric. Um, is, is, uh, even if it is a far corner of the Batman universe. So uh, that's why we will still continue to cover that, that book. Uh, but for the most part, if you look at the series as a whole, uh, outside of Jason Todd being in the book, there's not a whole lot that actually deals with the Batman universe. Uh, every once in a while they tie into the stuff related to the Batman universe, uh, but you know things change. So when you look at, also when you look at some of the crossovers, um, with Death of the Family, Teen Titans and Red Hood did tie in. Uh, with Zero Year, Red Hood will tie in, Teen Titans will not. So, with that being said, you know, some of the books, you know, Teen Titans might be something that we might actually reevaluate and not cover next month as well. But it really just depends on 
how how long this story because actually now that I'm thinking about it, we're just going to cut Teen Titans as of right now, uh, and we'll keep Red Hood for the time being. So we'll eliminate Batman and Superman and Teen Titans just because knowing what's coming forward with Teen Titans and them dealing with the story of uh, the evil Bart uh, Kid Flash from the future, knowing that that's the the majority of what they're going to be dealing with. We're just going to cut it. Uh, that, now, that does mean that we will be looking for someone to review Teen Titans and Batman Superman on the website. So if you're interested, you can email us at podcast at net, and you can let us know that you are interested in reviewing either one of those titles as we'd still like to get them reviewed on the website, even though we won't be reviewing them here. Uh, there's just a lot of books, and also next month we'll be adding Harley Quinn to the mix. So we'll eliminate two, we add one, and we'll go from there. Uh, so with that, that is everything for this episode. I do want to remind everybody you can head over to the website for not only the news related to the comics, but also movies, TV, merchandise, video games, and of course the, any other news related to the Batman universe. Also be sure to check out all of the other editorials, including some comic reviews that we have on the website. Um, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube for all the latest news and videos from the Batman universe. You can also leave us reviews on iTunes. Those are always greatly appreciated. And you can email us at podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net. That is everything for this episode. This is Dustin. And this is Ed. You've been listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. We'll see you guys next time. See you guys. Thanks for listening.